get it going. It's time to get up. That would have been a touchdown instead. They got to try to get there again. Herbert going to take it and get it. Touchdown. Chargers win it. These guys are here to break it all down. I don't think that they're as focused entirely on when they're starting as, as how they're starting and what it looks like. And, you know, obviously getting this issue resolved one way or another with seven Canadian teams is it's very much on the front burner. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Oh my God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the Everybody procedure, everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay calm! This is the starting lineup. Let's go. Stay calm indeed. Do not adjust your radios. No Perry today. No James Sabolki today. It's Vic Nazar on the starting lineup with Adam Forsythe. You hear him on our updates on Forsythe 650 and our friends over at News 1130. And, of course, you know him from wearing the green suit. It's Force. Force, what's going on? What's up, buddy? I am excited to be here. Uh, you know, full credit to to Perry and James because the, the perks of doing sports updates from home during the pandemic since March – I mean, I, I I'm the midday guy. I do I do updates for your show, the program. Yeah. So I have gotten a very comfortable sleeping schedule going on where I don't even set an alarm anymore. I'm getting up at like 10 a.m. It's pathetic. I don't have kids to worry about, and uh, so this is this is a shot in the arm. I'm I'm seven cups of coffee in already, and I'm excited to be here. But yeah, full credit to these guys for uh, for doing this on the daily. You probably had to do what I did, go into storage and find an alarm clock and like, you know. Breathe off a, a cloud of dust on it and be like, oh, right, this old relic. I had a couple of alarms set. I was full paranoia mode. And you know when like you're either excited or also a mix of nervousness, a bit of both, of sleeping through an alarm that you can't sleep? So yeah. like I'm a bit of a night owl and I'm like, I'm going to go to bed early. You know, well, maybe a glass of wine will help. And I was wide eyed, just staring at the ceiling from like 11 p.m. till like it's... maybe one this morning. It's... Oh, come it's... on. It's like when I... you buy a vacation or you're ready to take a flight, and for whatever reason, you book the 5.45 a.m. flight. You're like, you know what? It's $95 cheaper. I'll wake up early. And then you just, that night, you're so stressed. It's, it's, you're supposed to start your holiday off right, and it just, you, you go to bed stressed. You might not even sleep, and then you wake up stressed, and it's just like, oh. And then, you know, once you get to the airport, it's all good. It's like the the Disney commercial from our childhood. It's like I'm too excited to sleep. <laughs> it's kind of what it is. Actually, yeah, there you I, go. I have missed a flight because of that of me being cheap, and I went to Vegas and and did like the whole seven a.m. flight out of Bellingham and uh, slept right through my alarms, slept through my ride banging at the front door. I woke up to sixteen missed calls from him, and uh, he eventually sent the text like, "Sorry, man, I'm leaving." And him and his brother left for the Vegas airport and left me and my buddy in the dust. And we flew down as quick as we could, like drove down to Bellingham and we got there as it was still on the tarmac and they wouldn't let us on. We missed our flight. So we had to pay another like $200 US to catch the next flight a couple hours later. So I've learned my lesson. Do not be cheap about those 6 a.m. flights. Take the 9 a.m. flight. Save yourself some stress. I uh, We have three hours left in the show. I don't have enough time to detail every one of the flights I have missed in my life. Uh, it has been many a number, uh, much to the chagrin of family members and friends who are like, are you arriving yet? Uh, what's going on here? Uh, it is, again, Bick Nazar, Adam Forsythe, 6.03 here on your Friday morning. Uh, heads up, it's going to be 
pretty nasty today. There's a wind warning uh, in effect, and you're going to see a lot of rain through the course of the day, uh, up to 40 millimeters. And again, winds uh, could be hitting close to 50 kilometers an hour. So it's going to be swirling today. It's going to be wet, so stay safe. Uh, still expected to be a high of 10. Uh, let's catch you up on what's going on in the world of sports, though. Uh, Chris Johnson, Sportsnet NHL Insider yesterday, uh, kind of breaking hockey Twitter and uh, most of the NHL world uh, with his report that the Canadian division, the one that we have spent so much time talking about, Force, of, oh, these rivalries are going to be so great and can't wait to see, you know, 56 games between the Canadian division. And they're going to be going coast to coast. This is going to be so awesome. What if the Canadian division wasn't actually played in Canada? As Chris Johnson reporting yesterday, there is the possibility of playing entirely in the United States. Now, this is due to, you think of all, all these hurdles that we have to overcome, right? The NHL and the NHLPA. We've had players talking about deferrals and escrows and financial implications, all that sort of stuff. The overwhelming or sorry, the overarching thing that looms over all this is the safety aspect to it. And I don't just mean going to the corner and coming out okay without some bruises. I mean, well, there's a pandemic still going on. How do you figure this out? What's safe to play and what parameters are safe to play? And in doing so, you got to work with provincial health authorities and your federal government. And something that CJ detailed yesterday is the fallback option should they not get the okay is to try to play down south. And I suppose a reality does exist for us that we have to start considering this, that uh, this much bandied about Canadian division just looks different and isn't played in in an area due to provincial governments. Uh, I think it was something that was always looming and we just kind of had the excitement of there is possibly NHL hockey a month away and we just kind of over we looked past the idea that yeah you do need the sign off from these health authorities and this is something that they had dealt with when they dealt with the bubbles in Edmonton and Toronto Mm -hmm. back in the summer so it's not a surprise this has popped up again uh maybe it's a bit of a surprise that it, it you know it happened again within a month of us possibly playing an NHL season uh, yeah, there's a lot of logistical hurdles that need to be cleared. And this is one that I think maybe slipped past a few people, or at least in the fans' eyes, in my eyes, I, I hadn't really thought about it much. I thought it was it was all systems go. But it does make a lot of sense that it, this isn't in the hands of the NHL. This is in the hands of the provincial governments and their health authorities and Dr. Bonnie Henry. And ultimately, they will have the final say, and rightfully so, because, you know, they're the ones navigating this pandemic, and it's their world we're in, not the NHL. So it'll be very interesting to see how the next, you know, three, four weeks play out, because some major decisions need to be made, and it will be extremely weird if uh, we have to start the season with, you know, the Canucks of Kansas City or where, wherever <laughs> they end up. Hey, you know, it's a great way to say it, the saying that, you know, the NHL is in the government's world, not the other way around, as much as... You know, the 32 or the 31 owners would love that to have, you know, free free reign to play when and however they want. Uh, let's talk about that reality for the government. Here's the clip from CJ uh, yesterday with Reach Deep uh, talking about the government being the most important factor in the NHL discussions. I think a lot of people and a lot of the way this has been framed and discussed is that the league and the players are 
trying to come up with agreements on, on, you know, what this next season will look like. But the reality is the governments are, are probably even more important in those discussions. Uh, you know, I think the league and the players are aligned on a lot of issues uh, that, that maybe the governments themselves haven't, uh, you know, signed off on or, 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 you know, agreed with, with what the plans are for the league. And so, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say at this point where this one goes, you know, certainly it's not, a signal that all the Kane teams are going to the U S I know there's, there's still ongoing discussions with all the provincial authorities. Um, but you know, time is, is of the essence. And, and I do think if there comes a point where either there's just not going to be a fit uh, where they're not going to be able to satisfy the, the type of protocols or what's needed that the government requires, then, then they do have a plan B now uh, formulating. So the, the thing I want to touch on is, I do think that this might be a bad look at times for the NHL because the one thing that stands out to me is we spent so much time before talking about millionaires and billionaires arguing over salary deferments and all this sort of stuff, and we haven't necessarily had the public health conversation, right? It being a pandemic during COVID-19. And when you're having those discussions between owners and players about money, we've heard just, you know, players are trying not to be as vocal because everyone's appreciative of the idea that there's a pandemic, people have lost their jobs, people are seriously hemorrhaging in cash for their businesses, and people don't necessarily want to hear about the squabbles of your finances when you are making millions upon millions of dollars. This is another issue, too, that I look at and say – it's interesting to kind of put this out into the world while it's, it's great reporting. It's just, it's interesting to put this out to say we are considering leveraging the public health aspect of it all. So we can play hockey and, and move a bunch of teams down South because there's a lot of people that don't want to hear about the, the luxury of playing sport versus how do you manipulate provincial governments to say, hey, maybe ease up so we can start playing our games in your provinces? Yeah, the word you just used, manipulation, is exactly what this is, right? This is a negotiating tactic, and it, it, the timing of it is interesting. You know, kind of releasing it on a Thursday afternoon, heading into the holiday season. Maybe it flies a little bit under the radar, but it also does put just enough pressure on the provincial government's to you know make a, a rash decision that's what they're hoping but that's not going to be the case mm-hmm. uh, and yeah it it is an interesting little ploy by the nhl or whoever you know sent this information to cj uh, and, and again the, the reporting is great but i don't think as we saw in the summer this isn't going to sway the provincial health authorities this isn't going to yeah. be oh we're feeling the public pressure and like you mentioned player you know we're at a point in this pandemic where people's eyes are just going to kind of glaze over when they're talking about players contracts. And, you know, there's way more important things people are dealing with in their day-to-day lives. So it is a bit of an interesting tactic from the NHL's perspective. Uh, And again, I'll go back to saying the word logistical hurdles. There are so many boxes they have to check in the next month. And clearly this is a major one in their eyes for them to feel the need to get this information out there. And I know, I mean, it was pretty much mixed reaction yesterday on social media, at least in terms of fans understanding why the provincial health authorities would be a little bit hesitant and also a mix of, Oh, well, wait, the Canucks are going to play in the U S next year. It's, it's a mixed reaction, but I'm definitely on the side of 
I am listening to what the health experts say, and if it means the Canucks have to at least start the season. I mean, his reporting is saying like it's this might not be a full season thing. Mm-hmm. It, it could just be at least maybe you know a couple weeks. Uh, Elliot Friedman was saying earlier this week too about the potential of maybe at least hubs to start the season. I mean, this is it's going to be a very unique year next year where it's almost like a month by month scheduling, how the NBA is doing it. They're releasing the first half of the schedule and then they're going to play it and then see what happens from there. I think the NHL might have to take that approach as well. And if it starts with the the Canucks in the States, so be it. From a government and public health aspect from this all, if, I, if I'm, if I'm sitting there and the NHL is pitching me something on, they want to play and, and I'm sitting one of our legislators, and, and, and you just look at it and say, you guys just did bubbles. You guys just did hubs, and it was very effective. You had hundreds upon hundreds of people in these mini cities, these mini hubs, and it was perfect. There was no there was no risk to public health. You guys had zero test cases uh, when you were in there. It was fantastic. That's the model we want to see, and we know the economic feasibility of that is so uh, – uh, arduous for the nhl and i'm sure there's just a it, it feels like we're stuck in a rock and a hard place right now between what the nhl can afford to do because bubbles putting those on are ridiculously expensive and also you got to think of the the willingness from players to want to jump back into bubbles i'm not sure you know especially when we're talking about a regular season i'm not sure there's going to be a lot of incentive and a lot of demand to want to do that again so it's Something we got to keep an eye on, and whether it is just what you were just talking about of playing a month or a couple of weeks down south, and then you can come back up north across the border, and maybe the the health reality looks different, and you can start to play in your own buildings again and do cross provincial travel. If that reality changes, then okay, maybe by February or March they can start. Uh, playing the All Canadian Division in Canada once again, but plenty from CJ because uh, you know we're just under a month away from that expected January thirteenth run uh, start date. What if that gets pushed back? And here's CJ yesterday on Reach Deep talking about the flexibility on the start date for the NHL. All right, we'll get to that clip in just a second. Uh, I agree with you, Bake, what you're saying though, about like the, the the players and the feasibility of it. I, I mean, uh, what I was saying about a lot of the people maybe don't have a lot of compassion for the players and the owners right now with the money being thrown around. That is one thing I will definitely side with the players, and I have a lot of sympathy for them, is the idea of a bubble. I completely understand why they'd be resistant to it. They just spent... You know, the, the teams that went all the way, they just spent a month, two months away from their family. And now mm-hmm. you are maybe floating the idea that you have you need to be away from them for for five, six months. That's it, it, I completely understand why they would say absolutely not, especially with players, the families, young kids. It's never going to fly. A bubble is not really on the table, at least for like a prolonged period of time. It is Friday morning. Uh, We'll touch on this throughout the day. You can keep coming in uh, with your thoughts as well. 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Let us know. It's Bickness R. And Adam Forsythe this morning on Friday. Uh, So, you know, we got to talk to Steve Rapp from Sports Interactions. And inside the line, Steve, how are you this morning? I'm doing well, guys. Nice talking to you uh, this week before Christmas. Hope we get some Christmas money in our pocket. 
<laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, did you enjoy last night's game of the return of Marcus Mariota? Uh, yeah, I know he got. He looks like he might have Tannehill Derek Carr. Who knows? Uh, I mean, it happened to him, and he looked good. I'm always amazed. I mean, I, we've seen in the past. I mean, I think a guy like Kerry Collins back in the day. I don't remember him. Carolina Panthers, New York Giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, big guy coming out of college partied a little bit, a little too crazy, came back a few years later, was a good quarterback. Um, saw it, you know, maybe with Mariota a lot, but I'm wondering how much better uh, a mature Jameis Winston might be right now. Oh, uh, well, we'll certainly get your thoughts on the New Orleans game, but your, your first look at week 15 uh, on the weekend games, what stands out to you? I'm looking at a couple of Saturday games, Saturday football's upon us, so Carolina, Green Bay, uh, and I'm going to jump into these Saturday games with both feet, guys. Uh, Green Bay opened as a nine-point favorite at home to Carolina. Early professional money on the Panthers dropped to slightly to eight and a half. Um, all Teddy Two Gloves does is cover. He's 71% cover machines in games that he started. Make him a dog like he is this week. That number climbs to 79%. Uh, this is the kind of guy I want taking over a full touchdown. Panthers 0-3 when spotting points this season. Put him in the dog role. They're 6-3. and Two of those losses are to the Bucks, who traditionally have Carolina's number in the division. Uh, they've covered on the road in Kansas City and in New Orleans with Breeze at the helm. Uh, with the line over cut and converted touchdown, this is where Teddy Covers thrives. Uh, the back door wide open as the Packers have trouble putting away opponents. Uh, they couldn't pull away from Jacksonville at home. They needed a late 77-yard run to cover versus the Eagles. Didn't cover versus the Lions last week. Um, Carolina got beat pretty bad by Denver last week as a favorite, but that gives us a couple more points bonus here with the perception, and that's where they're a little more comfortable. So I'm going to get to take the points in the eight and a half. All right, let's move on to the next game. We got Buffalo favored by six points at Denver. What's your breakdown of this game? Uh, will Denver be able to contain Josh Allen, who's just playing phenomenal right now? Yeah, and, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna crap on Buffalo. They're playing great, but there might only be one stadium left in football with any home field advantage. That's in Power Field in Mile High in Denver. Uh, the altitude there is just different there for traveling teams. Uh, what a great spot to fade the Bills team at the top of their market value. Also a great time to fade the public, which has been very profitable this year. Buffalo opened as a four-point road favorite. 85% of the tickets have pushed the Bills to six. Bills coming off two huge primetime wins uh, when a lot of people doubted them. There's no doubting them anymore. They're amongst the AFC favorites right now. But what a perfect time for a bit of a letdown. And all the Bills' success, one thing forgotten here is they have a great deal of trouble stopping the run. 14% of the rushes against them go for 20 more, more than 20 yards. I find that number to be very surprising. Uh, Denver can run the ball. Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon should be able to go off against this rush defense. And Drew Locke performs better at home. He's 5-2 and two against the spread in his career at home, 3-1 and one against the spread this season in his home confines, his only loss being to the Chiefs. I got the Bills wrong last week, uh, and I might be headed down that same here, road here, but Denver has covered three of their last four. Their only cover being that no QB debacle against New Orleans. I'm going to take Denver in the plus six. Uh, it's somehow not the standalone primetime game on Sunday or Monday night, but certainly uh, Sunday afternoon here on the West Coast, everyone's going to be watching Kansas City at New Orleans, sitting at three and a half. Where do you come out on this game? 
Yeah, it's surprising that this would be uh, just be a four twenty or late window uh, out here. You actually the only game of the card this week that has two teams above five hundred, which is pretty amazing. And I had to double check if Drew Brees was still out when I saw this number, and it seems that he is, which is why I'm going to be laying just over field goal in this match between Taysom Hill and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, while most books have brought this down to three based on some sharp money, uh, public money at Sports Interaction keeps this one at three and a half. So that's the number we're going to play. Uh, it's actually three and a half even. So buying back to the three will not be that expensive. And that's what I'd be recommending doing here. Uh, we're going to pump the brakes just a minute on the Saints defense. Uh, with the last five weeks, they've played San Fran with Nick Mullins, the Atlanta Falcons twice, who they seem to own, and the Broncos with zero quarterback and lost to a rookie making its first start. The record of those teams, 18-33. and 33. Uh, The Chiefs now have first overall seat firmly in their grasp, and they get to play in New Orleans with no crowd noise on a fast track inside the Superdome. Uh, Chiefs played badly last week, and they've still got a win. I don't expect another four turnover performance here. Uh, and if they keep flying, there's no way Taysom Hill keeps up here. Lay to three and a half, or better yet, buy, lay it, buy it to three if uh, that number still remains cheap. Uh, here's Steve Rapp of Sports Interaction and Inside the Lines. Hey, Steve, uh, going into the Christmas break here, is, is, you know, what's the, the handle usually like uh, around you know, week 15, week 16 when you know, people are around the uh, holiday season? It's uh, well. I mean, it's just been great for football. Obviously, the football's always the the beast, and it's taken ninety percent of the action on a regular regular time. With no basketball, no uh, no hockey mm-hmm. right now, it's 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 huge. And you know, it's it just I can't even say that it goes up because uh, it is the handle has been so good uh, this year. I guess people have nothing better to do but, but sit down and have a little fun betting sports. So, uh, and this is a great time of year because, you know, you have some fun. You make a little uh, extra holiday spending cash if you can, and that's what I hope to be doing. Uh, Steve, we won't talk to you next week. Uh, so happy holidays to you, and uh, be safe, and hope all is well. Happy holidays. Safe, happy, and healthy to all my friends out there in Vancouver. Enjoy, everybody. It is uh, Steve Rapp of Sports Interactions Inside the Lines. You can listen to them Sunday morning here on Sportsnet 650. Some pandemic picks uh, there for us. Did you uh, have a pick on last night's game? I, I did. I believe uh, we were on the same boat. I had uh, I, I threw down a bit of a parlay. I, I went Raiders money line with a Josh Jacobs touchdown and Raiders uh, money line with a Waller touchdown. So I was correct on the TDs, not correct on the money line so i lost both bets so that was that's why you hashtag never parlay that's, i uh, i break my own rule every single time i'm i yeah. i know i should follow you just Terrible. one bet but no can't Terrible. do it i i was on the raiders last night and it felt like it was so weird man that was such a cool game because like i've got a lot of marcus Mariota stock and uh I, i've been taking l's and shareholders have not been paid out for a long time uh but last night was pretty cool uh, I thought he was going to pull out a victory. They should have went for it on uh, fourth down. Actually, they should have just called better plays when they were first and goal from the five and could have yeah. won that game. Yeah, I mean, they it, both teams were playing like they didn't want to win. I, we texted in the first quarter, like, this game's going to be terrible. And then we texted like two minutes after the game ended. We're like, you know what? This game actually kind of was entertaining. They, this is what a Thursday game usually is. It, it's sloppy. It's fun. It's it's somewhat entertaining between two not exactly great football teams. Uh, 
but it was fun to watch. I think that was the first time all year I've watched from start to finish a full Justin Herbert performance. And I mean, I don't know how he uh, found that deep ball in overtime, but full credit to the kid. He, he is a special player. And I'm, and if this is just a glimpse of what he's going to do in the NFL, it's, it's, you know, it's exciting times. Uh, Big Nazar and Adam Forsyth, there was uh, some unfortunate news about a legendary player in the NHL. We'll get to that. It's part of our poll question as well. We'll touch on that here on the other side. Big Nazar, Adam Forsyth, that's the starting lineup on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Friday. One week away till Christmas. Unbelievable how quickly it sneaks up on you. Uh, but yeah, December 18th, seven more sleeps, and then uh, Christmas morning. You and your families, hopefully, uh, being safe. Celebrating a 2020 Christmas. Big Nazar and Adam Forsyth here on the starting lineup, filling in for James Sabalski and Perry Solkowski, who will both be back on Monday. Uh, Force, uh, you heard it in the update there with Chris Wall. Uh, John Gruden, a man of many hats, and I don't mean a, a multitasker. I literally mean a man of many hats. Uh, yesterday during the game, uh, wearing an Oakland Raiders hat, and then at some point during the game, social media was going wild over it. Someone must have noticed on the Raiders sideline, and they managed to get him a Las Vegas Raiders hat. At what point during the game did the marketing crew freak out? Oh, we got to get him a hat. We got to get him a hat. Do we interrupt the game? Do we interrupt the game? But yeah, I mean, where did that hat come from? Why was it in his office? Why was he wearing it on the sideline? It is all-encompassing of what the Las Vegas Raiders are. It's hilarious. Uh, and and they went on to lose the game. So maybe he should have kept the Oakland hat on because they played a pretty good first half. Can you imagine being like the marketing intern? It's like, hey, uh, Go down to the sideline and uh, give John this hat so he knows it. It's just like, uh, excuse me, Mr. Gruden, um, you're wearing an Oakland Raiders hat. Do you mind? It's like, kid, I'm trying to call Spider-2Y Banana here. Yeah. What are you doing interrupting me on a Thursday night primetime game? I, I might have missed it. I uh, thought of it with the play call there. What did Joe Buck had like an aneurysm on air yesterday because Derek Carr had a couple of audibles at the line. Do you remember what those were? The yeah. audibles were uh, Damian Lillard and Richard Nixon. Fantastic. Yeah. That, that was awesome, and Joe so, Buck was astonished. I imagine the Lillard one was a run to the left, and I imagine the Richard Nixon was a, a run to the right. <laughs> you know what, though? If they probably were. That, it, yeah. it, he said Richard Nixon, and they ran the ball to the right, so I'm assuming that's what it was. If that's if the play calling was that obvious, that actually makes a lot of sense, but it I also mean, explains a lot about the Las Vegas Raiders. You sometimes got to just simplify things, right? You just got to just say, you know what, when we say this, this is what we're doing. Everyone knows we got our, our terminology and away we go. Yeah, I mean, but it's an NFL. It's a billion dollar organization. And the hat thing is just it blows my mind. And the difference between the hats, that Oakland hat looked like it had some wear and tear. It had seen. Oh, some, yeah. It had seen some games. So maybe is this his lucky hat? Get the guy a new hat. He has a hundred million dollar contract. And. Yeah, I mean, 
I like the the Las Vegas like the the new look of it. I mean, there's not that much tweak to it, but I, yeah. I like the Las Vegas Raiders logo. Uh, but yes, uh, interesting game all around, and very fitting of a Thursday night affair that the one head coach was wearing a Ron hat. Uh, it almost felt like you see like a relationship, and one person is still pining for an ex. <laughs> yeah, you know, just a constant reminder. It's like you better treat me well. I got options. I can go back to Oakland. I won't coach anyone there, but I really, my heart is really with Oakland. I'm settling to be in Las Vegas. Although he's settling pretty well. He's still got seven years left on his contract. Yeah. And now it looks like at this point, it's going to be a long shot for them to make the playoffs. So good for John Gruden. He's cashing in. Uh, he can buy all the hats he wants with that mega contract. Uh, yeah. Pretty entertaining game last night. I, uh, I saw a website got tweeted out yesterday. Uh, is John Gruden gone yet? And there's literally nothing to the website. It just says, Yes or no? Obviously, no right now. And it's a it's a timer on his entire contract. So I'm looking at it right now. There's 70 years, three weeks, six days, five hours, 26 minutes, and 16 seconds, 15 seconds, 14 seconds till the end of the contract. And there's literally a counter of how much John Gruden has made since you logged onto the website. So I logged on mere seconds ago, and since I've been logged on, uh, he's made twelve dollars since I started talking about it. It uh, I, I I feel like Raiders fans aren't embracing John Gruden on the second time around. I would kind of like to believe that that actually was secretly made by John Gruden. Like that's how he does his finances. He just has, he made someone make a website for him and he just checks in at the end of every day. He's like, all right, I made a couple thousand dollars today. Oh, that's so good. So good. Uh, it's Big Nazar and Adam Forsyth here on the home of the Canucks. Uh, so some sad news yesterday. Um, Henrik Lundqvist announcing that uh, he's not going to be able to play uh, this coming season uh, due to a heart condition and really unfortunate because, you know, here's a guy who, you know, one of the mainstays in the crease and, and over the past, you know, X amount of years, you would say one of the premier goaltenders. And I think he's still playing at a decent level. Uh, it just, some other players in the Rangers system have, have risen up to prominence and just a player that, I feel like he's universally loved force. Yeah, it, it's a, it was a really tough injury. And it, the way it came out of the blue, too, surprised a lot of people. And you're right. Universally loved is a great way to put it, because there's not many people who will say a bad thing about Henrik Lundqvist. Uh, he's had a very impressive career so far. Obviously, he's on the, the, the tail side of it, but I think he still had something to contribute. I think much like maybe the Demko Holpe situation here. He was in line to see a split start situation with Ilya Samsonov in Washington. And uh, he was a guy just who clearly was looking for a opportunity to win the Stanley cup. He took a one year, $1.5 million deal with Washington. I bet he could have got more on the open market if he wanted, but he was looking for the best opportunity and for him to have it cut short before the season even begins is really tough. And I think the reaction around the league and the outpouring from everyone, even the Capitals owner, Ted Leonis, put out a pretty heartfelt statement. Uh, everyone just really feels for this guy because he is one of the nice guys in the league. Uh, so we got a poll question up because uh, obviously he's got a storied career, uh, managed to play in a Stanley Cup, but has not won a Stanley Cup. So if you log on to Twitter, you can cast your vote in our poll question. What is the poll question for us? The poll question is we're going to go with the uh, best current player who has not won a Stanley Cup. So who's someone you really pull for that has not won a Stanley Cup among the active players? And there are there's some good options out there, Bick. 
Yeah, we we put up four. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist, Patrick Marlowe, Joe Thornton, and Shea Weber. Uh, if you don't like those ones, you can always text in 650-650 to our Dunbar Lumber text line or also tweet us at Sportsnet650. Uh, go check out that poll question. I, I myself voted for uh, Henrik Lundqvist just because, man, as far as premier guys at their positions, uh, it, it always feels like the goalies should get one. Right, we, we we talk about centers. Every elite center tends to get one at some point, right? Crosby, Bergeron, whoever it is, McDavid at some point will get his. It's just a matter of when. Matthews, if he stays in Toronto, he'll get his. It's just a matter of when. Kopitar got one. Tay's got one. The goalies, it seems to be a bit more fluctuating in recent times, right? Obviously, Prodeur, Wall, those guys always got theirs, but you think. Two guys that have won a lot of games recently, it's Luongo and Lungfist. They're the hallmarks of modern goaltending, and they didn't get theirs. I do look at that position. I think, man, it would be nice to see it to return to prominence to, to some stage, at least have some more glory to it when the best guys in the position are on that and, and not winning. And then you think of a guy like Carey Price, right? Is he on the same track to end up in that same aura of – Winning a lot of regular season games, maybe having a couple of playoff runs, but never getting that one. Yeah, I think it's a case with the goalies where when you are an elite talent and you know, arguably maybe say the top 50 goalies of all time when it comes to looping those all those players you mentioned and all those goalies in, the elite goalies don't tend to move around the league much. They stick with their team, whether they're good or bad, and they go through the ups and downs, much like Lundqvist did with the Rangers for mm-hmm. 15 seasons. And so because you don't see a lot of movement when it comes to elite goalies switching teams, I think it's kind of you, your ride or die. And you see that with Lundqvist, you see that with Price, uh, another player that's creeping up there in age, and maybe we've seen him past in recent years is Pekka Rene with uh, UC Soros kind of now getting a lot of starts, but Pekka Rene is another elite goalie that, you know, his name's not on the cup. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Lundqvist maybe would be my pick. The wild card for me, I think, is, and maybe it's just a BC boy, and I, I really like him, and, you know, Olympian, is Shea Weber. Mm-hmm. I think Shea Weber has has had a bit of a career resurgence in Montreal. I mean, he, he dealt with a couple of injuries and if he can get past them and make a comeback, which he has before, I think there's still a shot at a cup, but I mean, realistically, I don't see Montreal winning a cup anytime soon. So for him and Carey Price, I think it's either a change of scenery or they're just going to, you know, ride out uh, what is a very impressive and likely hall of fame career. And then, I mean, Patrick Marlowe, he's just kind of, clinging on now at this point. I think he's just sticking around to try and break the all-time games played record. Joe Thornton, impressive. You could tell why he went to the Maple Leafs. He wants a cup. Uh, but yeah, my, my vote would be Shea Weber if I want uh, one guy to win the Stanley Cup. Maybe if just for the impressive beard alone. All right. I was just going to say uh, two-month Stanley Cup run with that beard for, for Shea Weber might be pretty fantastic. Uh, I, th- I imagine Joe Thornton would get a lot of votes, but I'm not sure how many people in Vancouver are thinking, all right, Joe Thornton's a Toronto Maple Leaf now. Do I really want the Maple Leafs to to win theirs before the Canucks do? So jump online, cast your vote, or 650-650. Jason and East Van already chiming in. Carey Price with an exclamation mark. Yeah, it would uh, certainly be another popular one. Uh, I, I, 
I voted for Henrik Lundqvist, but I think Shea Weber for me would be a close second for a lot of things that you detailed. Uh, you keep chiming in 650, 650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, I do want to get to this moving forward as well, and we'll touch on it throughout the day. Uh, there was another list that uh, Canucks fans could get mad at. And this one to me, okay, perhaps maybe not as egregious as the 38th overall that the NHL.com list them, but it is another NHL.com list. It's their Super 16 forwards. And they put Elias Pettersson at 16. Uh, when I was doing my list the other day of uh, top 40 players, uh, I, I put Elias Pettersson in the top 20 and around number 16, and that's a list that includes defensemen. Uh, I looked at this list yesterday. I thought mm, probably closer to 13, maybe even closer to 10. Uh, when you saw Elias Pettersson at 16, what did you think? Yeah, I, I initial thoughts, of course, like my I'm outraged. He's one of the best in the world. But then you see the list. You're like, OK, I, I get it. There are a lot of talented players who didn't even crack this top 16 list. Uh Jumping off the right away is like Mark Scheifele, Steven Stamkos, Mark Stone, Ryan O'Reilly. Those four players did not make the top 16. So I can't be that outraged that uh, Pedersen is 16. I'm more upset maybe that uh, the way this poll worked for NHL.com is they pulled their 12 writers and then they each had to compile their own list and then they put it all together. Seven of the 12 didn't have PD in the top 16. So that to me is, is more surprising than anything. Uh, but I mean, you look at some of the names ahead of him and you can't really fault. I mean, it's a, it's a coin flip when you're taking like Matthews, Kane, Bergeron, Eichel, Marchand, they're all in that same category. It's so close. Uh, it's big to our Adam Forsyth. We'll touch on Elias Pettersson and his NHL.com ranking, uh, 16th forward, uh, throughout the show. Bender and Bachelor will join us. Arthur Staple will join us. Uh, and coming up in a couple of minutes. Uh, we're going to be joined from Fifth Avenue Real Estate. Uh, Scott's going to be joining us as well. Uh, just a reminder, Countdown to Tip-Off is brought to you by Denny's. Get a holiday turkey dinner for four starting at just $59.99. Visit denny's.ca for some Christmas hardcore action. Uh Czar, Adam Forsyth here on the starting lineup on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Grab your calculators, because it's time to stat me up on the starting lineup. Here's James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski, and the million-dollar man, Scott Brown. It's Big Nazar and Adam Forsythe this week on the starting lineup. Scott Brown, a presentation of uh, Fifth Avenue Real Estate coming up in just a second. But let's get to our stats. Uh, I'll go with mine. My number is five, four, sorry, 459, and that is how many wins Henrik Lundqvist has in the regular season, placing him sixth all-time among goaltenders. After lots of discussions with doctors around the country and finally receiving the last results earlier this week, uh, I unfortunately won't be able to join the team this year. Unfortunate news yesterday from Henrik Lundqvist. He's also a feature of our poll question, which you can jump online at Sportsnet. 650 to chime in on as he, uh, you know, we all, we all want to see Henrik Lundqvist win a Stanley Cup. But we go to Scott Brown now. Scott, good morning. How are you, gentlemen? You're sounding like you get up every day at four in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Much appreciated. Yeah. Uh, what is your number, Scott? Well, it's Fifth Avenue. It's our last one of the year. Let's go with number five. Two on one chance. Quinn Hughes down the left wing. Patterson, right circle. He scores. I'm craving hearing that. 
I am getting a little edgy, though, that the NFL season will come and go, and we won't be watching hockey for a bit in between. I think we're going to watch it, don't get me wrong, but I don't really want to have a gap where there's no football and we're waiting on hockey. Uh, I certainly hope we'll at least have hockey before Super Bowl 55 in Tampa Bay. Now, on the brighter side and why I picked the number five, starting this weekend, we have five Saturdays of NFL football to look forward to. Uh, so starting tomorrow, I'm looking forward to, are you ready for some Saturday football? Uh, we're going to get two games a week for three for basically five weeks, including playoffs. So I'm still looking forward to that, uh, definitely. And although tomorrow's matchups aren't exactly, um, you know, top card tilts, but that's okay. Anything to avoid the family on the holidays, football on Saturdays, plus my Packers play tomorrow, Scott. It, I'm pumped. It, I mean, it might not be a great game, but at least they're heavy favorites, and I, I'm, I'm hoping that they pull off the win against the Panthers. My number this week is 825,000. Mariota will get in for the touchdown. That is the amount of money Marcus Mariota received in bonuses last night, guys. He earned over $200,000 for playing more than 60% of snaps in any game this year. Well, he hit that yesterday with Derek Carr going down with a groin injury. It would have been worth $325,000 if they won. So that interception in the fourth quarter proving costly. And additionally, by playing 60% of his snaps in the game, his base salary for next year increases by $625,000. So Mariota cashing in last night. He made $825,000 pretty impressive performance That's, so uh, after winning big on a safety monday night <laughs> uh you think that he was you know it was affecting his play calling knowing he needed to, he needed a certain number of snaps <laughs> right yeah i don't kidding yeah, right just make sure yeah, you get that dog no 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 we're not gonna pass it <laughs> that's funny uh, uh scott you got another number for us Yep, we're going to get into the real estate world. So this time of year is interesting. It's kind of like the start of the hockey season, which we haven't started yet, but I imagine we'll start off with projections. Who's going to make the playoffs? Who's not? Who's going to be terrible? Um, and it's funny, you start the year, and this time of year our industry does this, and, and the resale and the home, the home market does it every time, and they do it into January. And very few people come back and remember what they said a year ago. So... 90% of what we said on the record a year ago has actually come true, but how we got there was like uh, not what we thought. So it's like the year starts off all of a sudden, you know, from June, from March 19th, pretty much till the end of June, the market went into the valley of despair and everybody thought it would never came out. And, and remarkably, the resale and the new homes came out. And our prediction last year was that sales would be up as much as 20% for new product in 2020 and that's where we're finishing the year so looking at next year i think we said you know we see another 20 plus percent increase year uh we think it might start a little slow but there's a big debate going on out there and your listeners are probably hearing this different sources so there's a canadian government saying market's going to fall uh prices are going to come down 18 percent and they've been saying that for nine months or so and it's not materialized but they're saying it about next year then on the other side, there's some rainbows and ponies people that are saying, you know, prices are going to go up 6-7% in 2021, market's going to be great. I don't take either of those views, but I don't think if you're hanging around next year expecting prices to rapidly drop before you buy a home, there's no evidence for that today. Um, and I do think we're going to have, you know, steady markets in year-over-year growth looking into 2021. But, you know, these markets are increasingly becoming more volatile, so don't be surprised next year if there's a month that nothing sells and then there's two months where everything sells. 
That's all very fascinating. Thank you very much, Scott Brown of Fifth Presentation of Fifth Avenue Real Estate. Hey, Scott, uh, we won't talk to you next week. Uh, happy holidays to you. Hope all is well with the family. Hope yeah. everyone can stay safe. You too, and give my best to the ski patrol. I'm sure they're off probably skiing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're uh, making sure they're getting an early start to their Christmas yeah. holiday. Well, I, uh, I wonder so if they're th- listening in because they're worried you're going to show them how it's done. Have a great day, guys. <laughs> Take care. Thank you very much. That is Scott Brown, a presentation of Fifth Avenue Real Estate. Uh, plenty to come to for the rest of the show here. It is Big Nazar and Adam Forsythe, 653, and it's going to be a wet day. Uh, expecting a lot of rain and also a wind warning in effect uh, for your Friday morning. So as you uh, commute to work or you're doing some Christmas shopping or whatever it is, uh, just be prepared to uh, have a ugly, ugly day. We'll get to a lot more on the way. Arthur Staple from The Athletic in Long Island. What's the status of Matt Barzell as we get closer to a return to play scenario? Still a lot of big names need to be signed and a BC boy uh, needs to put the ink down on his contract to get paid. We'll get into that, plus uh, some thoughts on Henrik Lundqvist and Elias Pedersen, his ranking in the NHL.com latest list. It's all on the way here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. That would have been a touchdown instead. they got to try to get there again. Herbert going to take it and get it. Touchdown. Chargers win it. These guys are here to break it all down. I don't think that they're as focused entirely on when they're starting as, as how they're starting and what it looks like. And, you know, obviously getting this issue resolved one way or another with seven Canadian teams is it's very much on the front burner. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Oh my God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody, stay calm. What's the Everybody procedure, everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay calm. This is the starting lineup. Good morning, happy Friday to you. A week away from Christmas, it is Vic Nazar and Adam Forsythe filling in for. James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski a week away from Christmas. I hope uh, you started to cross off a lot of things on the list. And now it's just all about the food and the baking and the cookies and the being around the family and not trying to get agitated by them. <laughs> Have you got your shopping done? Oh, no, not of course. Uh, no? Of course not. No. I So traditionally what I do, and, and this is really bad practice. I don't suggest this anybody else do this. But uh, me and a cousin of mine, we... Uh, started this years ago when we were well, 17, 18, 19. And we got into the habit of doing all of our shopping, like literally starting all of our shopping on December 23rd. Awesome. And on, under normal circumstances, we would go out and you know hit up all the malls in one day and get it all done. Now, we can't do that this year because of pandemic and everything. Uh, but we've kept up this tradition for, you know, 13, 14, oh man, almost 18 years of every year we go on one of the final days of Christmas and spend the day together and do all of our shopping. So we're actually uh, doing shopping from home this year. So I I haven't started, but I'm probably going to start this weekend. (laughs) I like the vagueness of it. Like, "Eh, if I get around to it, we'll see. There's only seven years left. See, it back, kind of backfired for me is I was trying to be responsible. You know, I'm not going to go to the mall. I'm, I'm going to, you know, support local, shop online. But because everyone's doing that, all these delays. So I put in like my last few orders this week and I just got an update. And one's like, yeah, it'll arrive uh, maybe go January 7th. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, 
yeah, the girlfriend's not going to be happy that she does not get a Christmas present. See, I, I'm fortunate because I don't have to buy a lot of gifts, right? It, it's a yeah. small family, so I have no problem disappointing people to be like, oh, hey, by the way, January 13th is when your gift is arriving. I only started shopping for it last week. I have, I have zero no problem. problem saying that. I have no problem disappointing people. My life motto, Bick. <laughs> My life motto. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll just do like the, the IOU thing and be like, hey, it's on this way. Like, here's a screenshot of the post tracker. Yeah. That's where it was when I took the screenshot. Here's the link. You can track it yourself. Yeah, it's in Etobicoke, Ontario. <laughs> it's always there, isn't it? Uh, it is Bictazar and Adam Forsyth here. Speaking of disappointing, I think Canucks fans uh, were a little disappointed to see Elias Patterson crop up on another NHL.com list. They were listing the Super 16 forwards. He came in at 16, just barely making the list. Uh, that's uh, rather unfortunate to see. Now, he beat out guys like Mark Scheifele, Steven Stamkos, Mark Stone, uh, Ryan O'Reilly, which was, uh, you know, he just played him, obviously, uh, in, in the Stanley Cup final, or in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So he beat some good players, but he was behind the likes of Evgeny Malkin, behind the likes of Jack Eichel, behind... Someone like Patrick Kane, obviously some guys who have had some storied careers and had a lot of success. It's just about where are you right now and where are you going? And I would look at Elias Pettersson as someone who's got the most upward mobility on lists like these. It's it's tough because you go down the list and you're like, all right, well, I'm not going to put him above McDavid, McKinnon, Crosby, Dreisaitl, Kucherov. So, like, at what point in the list are you like, all right, I can make an argument that at this point in his career, he is better than Ovechkin, who is sixth on the list. Uh, would you take David Pasternak over Pedersen? Uh, or Temi Panarin is on the list. Patrick Kane. It's really tough, and it, it does come down to value versus skill. And based on this list alone, it looks like skill we were we were talking off air about how you know Dreisaitl is a bit of a defensive liability yet he's fourth on the list while a guy who is arguably the best two-way player in the league actually you could go with either one Ryan O'Reilly or Mark Stone two guys you mentioned and they didn't make the list well if you're trying to create a Stanley Cup contender I mean Dreisaitl is an amazing offensive player he can drive the offense he can win you games but Mark Stone and Ryan O'Reilly in the playoffs Maybe I take them. I, I don't know. It's an interesting list, but overall, PD I think, is kind of in that sweet spot at 16. You could have him, I don't know, anywhere 10 to 16, and I wouldn't blink at it. Top 10, maybe give it a few more years. I do want to get into this more as the show goes along. We'll talk to Brendan Batchelor about it as well. Uh, you share your thoughts, 650, 650. Uh, another man who just made the or just missed the list was actually Matt Barzell. We wanted to talk about him today with Arthur Staples from The Athletic on the Island. Arthur, thanks a lot for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Uh, we're doing great. Uh don't know if you saw this list from NHL.com, but uh, they were listing their, the 16 forwards in the NHL. And, and Matt Barzell was just on the outside of this list. And I kind of feel a, a guy that often gets overlooked at times, considering what he does for the New York Islanders. Right? He's obviously super talented, but he's also sacrificing a lot, uh, some offensive opportunities for the sake of the team. Yeah, you know, it's. It's probably uh, Lou Lamarello and Barry Trotz's dream to not see anybody on that list because it reinforces what they're 
what they're trying to get through to the Islanders, which is uh, it takes all of us. And uh, obviously Barzal is the most talented guy that they have. And um, he is, you know, he, I think he's had a kind of an object lesson in uh, sacrifice for, uh, for sacrificing your individual gains for some team gains since he won the Calder with an amazing year three years ago. But the team was awful. And uh, now when Barry Trotz and, and Lou Lamarillo have come in, Points have gone way down, but uh, but he's gotten within a couple wins of a of a cup final. So uh, I think he certainly understands what it takes to succeed with this team, and maybe it's not uh, completely in his wheelhouse, or maybe some of his fans or his fantasy holders aren't too excited. But uh, but I think he has to be pretty thrilled that the team has turned it around, uh, even with him losing his losing some personal goals. So you just mentioned about you know buying into the team game and maybe some personal sacrifices. What is the latest on the Matt Barzell contract negotiations? Are the, is the team? I mean, obviously they're in a salary cap crunch, but are they still asking him to take a team-friendly deal? Where does it stand as of today? You know, I think it hasn't changed very much. It's uh, it, it, it's a little surprising that maybe they haven't made an announcement yet. But uh, you know, I think when this crazy off-season began you kind of knew that Barzal's options were limited. He didn't have arbitration rights. Uh, a couple of the other Islanders RFAs did, and, and they kind of took priority. Um, and they really needed to sort out some of this cap situation. They traded Devon Taves uh, to, you know, keep from having to sign him to a, a medium-sized deal. Uh, Johnny Boychuk uh, had to announce his kind of unofficial retirement so they can use his $6 million cap hit to go, uh, to go over the cap on, on LTIR. But all of these things really had to take place before they agreed uh, with Barzal because, you know, his, his situation was really quite simple. They, they wanted to talk contract. It didn't seem like offer sheets were going to be uh, really on the table considering the, the financial crunch everywhere around the league, and that seemed to be true. There's just no teams left that really could even fit him in right now with, with the season presumably starting so soon. So it's really just a matter of deciding what length uh, contract, you know, it, to my mind, a, a shorter term deal makes sense for certainly for his side, um, you know, two or three years, maybe six and a half million per seven million per something like that. You know, if they tried to go really long and lock him up for seven or eight years, I think you're talking eight figures right there per year. And I don't know if even with the Islanders, the, the moves that they've made, that they can afford that right now under the cap. So it seems like it's kind of going towards an obvious point, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. And I can't imagine there's any hiccups that, that are going to keep him from starting on time with the, when camp opens. It, it, has he just found himself in a kind of a rock and a hard place, right? It, it's great to to get into the league and everything, but it, it just feels like without our rights and everything like that, it just feels like he's kind of stuck at the whims of the Islanders right now. I'd be happy to be stuck at someone's whims for $7 million per, <laughs> just, but that's just me. Um, so, I, you know, I think if he goes, you know, if he can somehow get them – to two years, you know, kind of a Patrick Line type situation, uh, gets another bite at the apple before he becomes a UFA in a couple years. Um, you know, maybe the, the financial fortunes of the league have turned a little bit. Maybe the cap can start to go up again. Um, but either way, I think you want to be, in, if you're in his situation, you don't want to lock yourself down. And I think that's really the only leverage he has is to keep this next deal as short as he can uh, and try again in a couple years to, to, get more money and, and maybe a little bit more security and maybe things will change in a couple of years with this team. Maybe if they, they can get to the, you know, they, he leads them to a Stanley cup in that time, then maybe, then maybe you're looking at a different situation. But, um, but I think for now, well, yeah, like you said, it's, there's not a lot of options. It sort of feels like it, 
it used to feel uh, a few years ago with, with RFAs with no Arbrights that it's almost like last summer with the Marners and the Matthews and all those guys never really happened um, for guys like Barzell just because of the pandemic. So I imagine you, you take your short-term deal and maybe less than you want and, and, and get another bite out of it sometime two or three years down the road. Well, Arthur, within the last hour, you posted your latest article on The Athletic about projecting the Islanders' salary cap for next season and um, and, and even further down the line. So how do you project they fit Barzell's contract in? Like, if Are they going to need to move an, another couple bodies out? Is it the buyout route? Like, Which way do they go here? Do they bury someone in the minors? How do the Islanders fit Barzell in? I think it's all of the above at this point. You know, I think they've... They've had a situation with Boychuk, which is, uh, you know, unfortunate for a guy that everybody loves in the room. But, uh, you know, his eye injury is, is going to keep him from playing in. So you have that flexibility to go over the cap by his $6 million. You've got Andrew Ladd's deal. You know, he's got a, a guy uh, who's coming off a couple of knee operations over the last few years. He really has only gotten into a few games last season, played mostly in the minors. Uh, Thomas Hickey, Leo Komarov are kind of other guys that have been not regulars in the lineup, might be candidates to to be sent to the minors to save at least a million or so on each of those deals every place that Lou Amarillo can look for spare change under the couch he's going to find it you know if they can make another deal to unload a big salary it certainly doesn't seem like it could happen with just a few weeks to go till the season but I think when you're looking towards after this season they're in very much the same position they've got uh, you know, Anthony Beauvillier, who uh, was drafted the same year as Barzell, coming off a great playoff. He'll, he'll need a new contract uh, for 21-22. Adam Pellick, who was one of their better defensemen in the, in the playoffs last year also. And Ilya Sorokin, who might end up being their, their number one goalie of the future, just came over from Russia after being drafted six years ago. He's going to need a new contract. So Lamarillo will be right back where he was this, this offseason where he was looking to save money. And, and if Barzal is there for a couple more years, then – you know, you started all over again in 22, 23, or even the following year with him needing a new deal. It's uh, it's a difficult spot that they're in with the flat cap for the next couple of years. Um, and they have to be creative with finding some money, some ways to save money and, and cap space while also trying to improve with essentially the same group. So I think that's where guys like Barzell, you want to see him take that next step within their system, maybe uh, improve a bit on the power play get them some more points, get him some more points, and uh, and then everybody gets a raise at some point down the road. As much as you're talking about, uh, you know, there's a, a month to go here to figure this out, uh, the, it's not as if there's a a solid plan in place from the league just yet as far as what the return to play looks like. So, yes, there's urgency, but how much of this is um, motivated by just seeing what the landscape looks like from what the new parameters are for set forth by the league? And, and then does it reignite conversations between the two sides? You know, it sounds like there's been, there's been contact all along. I don't think there's really any, you know, acrimony. I, I imagine that when, when the off season began, that, that Barzell's camp was probably looking to see if there was a possibility of an offer seat. I think that's just natural for a guy in his situation that you want to, whether the Islanders would match it, which I assume they would have, or whether he would consider going somewhere else. Um, you just want to see what's out there and be able to maximize your potential. But uh, but as far as you know, dragging this on, it, I, I think it's just sort of you know, lose mantra has always been when you have time, you use it. And I think without having a set date in mind, maybe there's uh, there's no real reason to rush the situation. They, uh, you know, apparently have a few veteran contracts that they haven't announced yet that are still 
sitting in Lou's drawer waiting to be filed for guys like Corey Schneider uh, and bringing guys back like Matt Martin and Andy Green and maybe even Derek Broussard. So yeah, I think they're just kind of biding their time, and I don't think there's a lot necessarily to, to haggle over or be, be frustrated or create any acrimony about. I think this is just a matter of uh, when the league announces that they're ready to go and, and camps are ready to start, then I think you'll you'll see pretty soon after that that Matthew Barzell signs uh, whatever deal he's going to sign. Uh, Arthur, moving away from the Islanders for a moment, the news yesterday coming out that Henrik Lundqvist will not be playing next season because of a heart condition. Uh, it's a player that you've seen a lot uh, during your time in New York, and your maybe your initial thoughts on uh, the announcement, and is this possibly the last we've seen of the King on NHL ice? Well, I certainly hope so. You know, covering the Islanders for as long as I have, and and certainly listening to Islander fans, I think you saw the respect that that Lundqvist gets. Uh, even in this area where Islander fans grew to hate him for all the success that he had with the Rangers, uh, a real outpouring of respect and, and heartfelt feelings for uh, after his announcement on social media from a lot of the Islander fans that follow me and interact with me. So, yeah, this isn't a situation that anybody wants to see, and hopefully there's a chance for him to come back next season if, uh, if his health improves. But uh, it was definitely a, a shock to see, and I think, you know, from the from the cold business standpoint of it, it's a difficult spot for the Caps to be in. I think, you know, that with with a guy like Ilya Samsonov, who's pretty unproven goalie, um, you know, they wanted a veteran like Lundqvist. There really wasn't anybody like him on the market who's had has such a playing history and, and recent playing history of playing at a high level. Um, the pickings are pretty slim right now, so I imagine that some of the teams that are going to be in Washington's division, and certainly teams like the Islanders and Rangers, will be two of them that. Uh, this, this may end up being a benefit to some other teams as, as unfortunate a situation as it is for Lundqvist. And, and hopefully, whether it's with Washington or somebody else, um, in 21-22, if his health improves, uh, we'll be able to see him again because you want to see a guy like that be able to, to finish his career on his own terms as opposed to being sidelined by something like this. Uh, he is Arthur Staple of The Athletic on Long Island. Arthur, thanks a lot for uh, taking some time to join us today, uh, a week away from Christmas, and hope all is well and Happy holidays for you. Same to you guys. Take care, everybody. Uh, that is Arthur Staple, the athletic in Long Island. And, yeah, uh, Henrik Lundqvist, like, there's one of the biggest rivals, right? New York, New Jersey, and and, and the Islanders. Just huge rivalry. And you, you see he's talking about all the fans interacting with him, the Islanders fans that have so much respect for Henrik Lundqvist. One of the most highly regarded players across the NHL. And uh, it was unfortunate to see that yesterday. Very much so. It kind of reminds me a bit of the Canucks-Flames rivalry and how Canuck fans paid tribute to Jerome McGinley at the end of his career, where it's it's a fierce rivalry. It's You hated him when you played against him, but you recognize what a good person he is, what an amazing player and ambassador for the game he is. Uh, I mean, there's and you flip the script when you go Flames versus Canucks and how the Flames pay tribute to Trevor Linden when he packed it in. So um, you you love to hate certain players when you play against them, but you recognize you know their skill sets and how they important are to the game. And uh, clearly, Henrik Lundqvist is one of the most beloved players around the league. As we said earlier this morning, like you don't really hear a bad thing about him. So a uh, very tough break for Lundqvist. And I mean, I know, I know he is creeping up there in age and he, he maybe is not playing at the level he once was, but I hope this is not the last we have seen of Lundqvist in the NHL. Certainly hope not. And he's actually the subject uh, of our poll question as well today at Sportsnet650 on Twitter. You can also uh, 
text us 650-650 to our Dunbar Lumber text line. And which NHL veteran do you hope to see win a Stanley Cup before he retires? Uh, Henrik Lundqvist, Patrick Marlowe, Joe Thornton, and Shea Weber. It is uh, pretty tight right now in our poll question right now. For us. This is what you love to see in poll questions. Four close options right now. It's extremely close. Uh, let me what's uh, the numbers? Re- let me refresh here because it is all about thirty percent. Patrick Marlowe is the the one that uh, you guys are disagreeing with at twelve percent. But yeah, we have uh, what Shea Weber at thirty, Thornton and Lundquist at twenty eight each. So it is still very close. Plenty of time left to vote. Which NHL veteran do you hope to see win a Stanley Cup before he retires? Because uh, much like Henrik Lundqvist, uh, you know all these all four of these guys are well respected. Hmm. No, absolutely. And if you got a different uh, name you want to throw in there, uh, let us know either on Twitter at SportsNet650, at Bix650, or at Adam Forsyth on Twitter. Uh, or you can jump in and text us 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line. And this hour of the starting li- lineup is brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative visit dunbar lumber on bridge street in ladner or arbutus in vancouver or online at dunbarlumber.com and yeah i just think it's it, man for me it is henrik lungfist just be the best at your position for such a long time like joe thornton obviously is in that realm as well but i, I just feel like a lot of people aren't gonna vote for him because of the toronto maple leafs i voted for henrik lungfist and he's just right there in the running and and for me, one of my favorite players to watch at the position, and especially when that position has gone under such an evolution in the last 15 years, right? We would think of the, the 90s, it started to get a lot more technical, right? We had some great goalies during that era. And then there was that stretch of time where it was about being a big goalie, like big in size and equipment. And there was a handful of guys that kind of threaded that needle of making yourself big and playing very well, like I'm thinking like Luongo's and Lungfist. Obviously, there's natural size to them, but those handful of players are just you look at how they transition into the modern NHL, they they always manage to be just studs in goal, despite this ever long commitment to try to make goaltending harder and harder with smaller equipments and everything. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He, he checks a, a lot of boxes in terms of uh, what your ideal goalie prototype will be. And he was just consistent. I think we always say about how the East Coast doesn't recognize how good some players on the Canucks are because they never see them. We didn't see Lundqvist as much as I, I personally would have liked. Right? You're going to see uh, Hockey Night in Canada. You're going to see the Habs, the Leafs. But the Rangers kind of like slip between the cracks a little bit for a lot of his career. So you see his playoff runs. But he is a guy who was a phenomenal player. And, I mean, goalies are quirky. They're weird. They're they're strange cats. But Lundqvist was always well-spoken. He was a guy who would be in front of the mic. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's, you can't say enough good things about him. And you just hope that his, his career comes back at some point. And, obviously, uh, for him to be going through this last two months, knowing and, and hoping that the doctors would sign off on it, because he did say in his clip there that he put out on Twitter, uh, he's been working with the doctors. He's known about this for a while. And then finally to get the definitive answer that, no, you cannot play next year for the Capitals as you chase your first Stanley Cup. I mean, that must have been heartbreaking. I will keep getting into it. Your text also welcome. There's uh, some more votes to our text line for Shea Weber, an unsigned text. Sign your text, even with an alias. We'll 
We love giving you credit. Uh, Big Nazar, Adam Forsyth here. We want to touch on Elias Pettersson uh, finishing up at number 16. And also, a week away from Christmas. Are you feeling into the Christmas spirit? We'll touch in on that. Big Nazar and Adam Forsyth here on the starting lineup on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet. Six fifty. Welcome to the starting lineup on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Oh, yeah, there you go. That'll put you into the Christmas spirit. That's how you get your Friday morning going. And Dick Nazar, Adam Fordsight filling in on the starting lineup. James and Perry away today. We'll be back on a Monday. Uh, Force, uh, you know, look, I, I, was, I was saying earlier, I haven't done my started my Christmas shopping yet, uh, so I'm not in the mood necessarily just yet. And you know, it's been such a weird year because of the pandemic. Uh, a, a lot of my traditions that I do with friends and family have gone by the wayside because I haven't gotten together, and it just feels like I never got into the Christmas spirit just yet. Uh, like one of my big traditions is usually uh, American Thanksgiving is the, the full slate of football games, right? It, it's a uh, they've got the, the the Macy's parade and all that, and it feels like okay, okay, Christmas is here. Me and my friends, you would usually get together for football that day, and we literally call it the kickoff to Christmas. So we 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 all we'd all gather at one person's house, we watch football all day, and that person like sets up their tree. Christmas is on its way while we watch football. Now, because of a pandemic, we didn't get together. We had to do it by Zoom, which I got to tell you, it's fine, but it's not the same. Nobody's setting up their tree over Zoom. That's not cool at all. You got to stay in front of your screen. So that didn't happen. And it feels like because it didn't, I never got into my traditional Christmas spirits of like getting into it, listening to Christmas music, watching Christmas movies. I'm still waiting to get into that, 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 that jolly Christmas spirit. You got seven days, buddy. You better, you better hurry. I know. Up. I'm running out of time. Like, what about you? Are you in full swing? Um, a little bit different. So, like, the my girlfriend moved into my place this year, and I'm I was a bit of a Grinch uh, when it comes to Christmas. <laughs> I've never, I've never had a tree. I never put up lights. And uh, full credit to her, she's completely taken charge of like. I'm going to Rona. I'm getting a tree. I'm getting all this. So my place is Christmasfied. Christmasfied. I don't know if that's a word. I made it up. But uh, so now having a Christmas tree, which I'm sitting right next to right now, maybe that's got me a little bit into the spirit, getting some presents under there. But it is going to be a weird year. I mean, we can't see anyone. We're discussing like we're just going to just the two of us for Christmas dinner. Like I, I don't feel comfortable, you know, seeing my family. It's, it's going to be a bit of a weird one, but I do take solace in uh, Christmas movies. Cause I have been watching them nonstop. Cause that's pretty much all we have right now. There's not a lot of sports on, so I will watch Christmas movies. What are your go-tos like every year? Cause usually I, I usually started off with home alone and I, or I, I either the home alone or the cartoon Grinch. And I haven't uh, jumped into either. So we, I, I watched home alone uh, I gotta get uh, still Home Alone two is still on the list, but my go to of all time, I always call it Christmas Movie Day. I've done it about ten years in a row, and much like you, like uh, it was normally we watch it together with a bunch of friends. And this time it was Zoom and rum and eggnogs over Zoom just doesn't have the quite you know the same ring to it. But we always watch three movies on the same day and just have a bunch of rum and eggnog. And this year via Zoom we did Elf, Christmas Vacation, and The Polar Express. And Polar Express, eh, whatever I give or take, whatever, but. 
elf wow. vacation. Wow, the slander on Polar Express. Oh, it's so bad, but it's so good. I don't know. It's just like <laughs> Steven Tyler, Aerosmith singing in the North Pole come in cartoon. Like, ugh. I don't know. It's all about the Christmas uh, dreams of uh, being on a train. It's true. But we do watch the same movies every year, and it's been like 10 years. So now it's at the point where it's more, f- it's funnier to us where we try to quote the line before they even sure. pop up on the screen. Yeah. So, you know, Christmas Vacation with like Julie Louis Dreyfus as the rotten neighbor, like Margot and, and, and Todd. And just, you know, try and quote them out. But um, those are my go tos is Christmas Vacation and Elf. And I don't know. I, I've slipped in Bad Santa the night before Seth Rogen. I watched that one. Um, By the way, that's underrated. I thought one? that was going to be like a slapstick comedy of just like Christmas nonsense. And someone was like, no, no, you got to watch it. That's got some real heart to it. The night before? Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, there's like, yeah, three different awesome storylines. You got Miley Cyrus. You got Wrecking Ball. It's an absolute banger. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was really surprised by that movie. It was enjoyable. I mean, you can. Seth Rogen is very talented. So you, when he has his hands on something, you know you're going to be good. Uh, and then I even went down like where I, this is the deepest I've ever gone to Christmas movies. There's a new movie out there, a Christmas movie called Fat Man. Have you heard of this one? No, man, you were crushing it on the, the Christmas movies. It is the most bonkers Christmas movie I have ever seen. It stars Mel Gibson as Santa Claus. Oh, brother. And okay. he gives a rich kid some coal. And so the kid puts out a hit on Santa and it's a hard hard R-rated movie super graphic, super violent and it's a kid in a hit squad going after Mel Gibson who is Santa Claus it's so weird I don't. I can't even say there's I a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that <laughs> yeah, I didn't know Mel Gibson was still making movies, I didn't know there was yeah. a movie called Fat Man, but yeah I, I'm not saying I recommend it, but if you are bored and want something insane to watch track that movie down well, because I imagine for a lot of people, they've gone through a lot of movies so far. So why not try something quirky and, and different? Yeah. Can I throw uh, one your way? What is the, because everyone has a, it, not even just a Christmas movie, but a, a movie that everyone can acknowledge is bad, but you will defend it. Like my Christmas movie that is bad that I'll defend all the way and I'll watch every year is Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. With a bullet. Yeah. Like. like it's a I horrible, horrible movie, but I don't care. It, it's so bad, but I watch it every uh, Christmas season. Uh, one, it's not a Christmas movie. There are Christmas scenes. I think there's one Christmas scene in it, but actually, it's another Sinbad movie. It's House Guest with Phil Hartman. I, I watch that so often. It's like mid '90s, but I watch that way too much and it's like objectively a bad movie but like the context of like why i watched it it's like with family and all this stuff it's just like a nice memory for me but it's not a good movie but i will objectively laugh every single time that movie comes on so we've now identified two movies starring sinbad and phil hartman that are horrible oh, yeah <laughs> man uh that's that's a rough look for those guys but look it, it's a testament to them that they found a place into our hearts very much so. Uh, so yeah, there's a, still a few more movies I got to watch. I still have to watch Tim Allen's The Santa Claus. That one's uh, on everyone's list. A Christmas Story. I haven't watched that this year. Uh, but yeah, there there's a lot. Uh, Netflix has done a pretty good job of adding Christmas movies this year too. But there are a lot of those like cheesy Hallmark ones. And oh man, some of them are so bad. There's one called Broadcasting Christmas. I was like, oh okay, well I can relate to that. It's about a, a, a radio host and Christmas. No, it's an absolute disaster. It stars Dean Cain. It. it 
do not watch it. It is so bad. Look, I, I, I know it's a pandemic and everything like that, but how are you how are you finding this much time for Christmas movies? That's unbelievable. I, I have nothing I'm I'm following these Dr. Bo Henry's rules to like quarantining. I am staying in. I'm not leaving the house. I work from home for the most part. I mean, I'm I'm just chilling. Netflix is on. Uh, that is great. It's Vic Nazar and Adam Forsythe uh, here. Want to touch on uh, a couple other things that are going on uh, today. So, uh, Elias Patterson ends up as uh, number sixteen on the Super Sixteen list for. The top 16 forwards. And actually, while we're talking about movies, I, I do want to talk about a movie star in relation to this. Because one of the things I, I talk about with Elias Pettersson a lot is you got to look at beyond just the point totals. There's going to be some guys that put up some gaudy numbers. You know, Tyler Sagan's done that, and Leon Dreisaitl just did. But when you're talking about overall impact on a game, that's that's what matters to me. And I think sometimes we get lost in the numbers. And there was a movie star who I think kind of did that for movies where suddenly it didn't become important of what the the style of movie you had it's your box office numbers tom cruise i know he's been in the news this week rightfully so for covid well done tom but uh tom cruise arrived in the 80s right and in my mind he ruined movies forever because he starts coming out with top gun and all these things and it started to become about diverting eyes from like the entertainment of a movie rather than like dedicating to the craft and being an elite actor. I'm not saying Tom Cruise is a bad actor. I'm saying he had a specific goal to make the box office matter more than like the Oscars, than the awards to the point that I'm not even sure if we care as much about the Oscars in today's world, as much as we do of, wow, how much is the Marvel Avengers movies making? Well, they're number one. They might beat avatar. That's what matters more. And if you equate that to hockey, it's like thinking Art Ross trophies matter more than the Stanley Cups, and they don't. They just don't. So I know we get frustrated. It's like, oh, Elias Pettersson's going to never win an MVP because he's not going to put up enough points. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He's the better player. And you got to remember his impact on the game. He's the, he's the guy that's dedicated to his craft more so than worrying about just the points. And when you look at lists like this, these Super 16 lists, and you see Patrick Kane and all these great players who put up a lot of points. And Patrick Kane's won Stanley Cups, of course. But he did it part of an ensemble cast. It's not just about points nowadays. It's you got to have a 200-foot impact on the ice. And Elias Patterson, he's 16 this year. He's going to be a lot higher next year, and it's going to keep going up and up and up until he gets recognized as one of the premier 200-foot players in this league, like we talk about, say, a Patrice Bergeron or a... Anze Kopitar in his prime. That style of player, that's what you have in Vancouver. And it hasn't been recognized yet, but rest assured, it is coming at some point. Uh, I mean, I, I see your points, but there's just... He, he, he is going to climb that list, but I, I still... I saw a lot of like slander towards Alex Oveshkin and Patrick Kane yesterday saying, you know, no, PD's got to be higher than them. If you're ta- if if we are the goal is to win a Stanley Cup and who is the best forward in in a playoff game, I still I think I'm taking Alex Ovechkin. I think I'm taking Patrick Kane in those games. I I mean people point to like you know their maybe defensive lapses sometimes, but they have proven in their careers to be clutch players. They've won Stanley Cups, and I think until PD and the Canucks clear that hurdle, he'll inch his way up that list. But I mean. 
I have no issues whatsoever with Alex Ovechkin being sixth on this list, Patrick Kane being ninth, and Petey all the way back in 16th. Uh, I mean, s- same thing with Patrice Bergeron, uh, you know, more well-rounded player. It's I look at it if it's Game Seven in the in the playoffs, which of these players do you want out there for the opening face-off and want to be a difference maker? And the majority of the people listed above Patterson on this list, I can't really argue it too much. And, and I mean, Kane's taken a lot of heat of his play, maybe dropping off over the years, but it's more so uh, his supporting cast. I mean, he's still put up. You know, 106 points two years ago in that that last full season. Um, yeah, it's tough. I I, I see me, where PD's on the list, and he he is going to move up, but it, it's just hard to justify him being you know in top ten right now. For me, when I look at these lists, right, and the two players we're talking about specifically, Ovechkin and Kane, up until this point, they have scored at a level where you can live with any sort of defensive lapses, right? And they've improved defensively as their careers have gone on, no doubt. It's just they are scoring at such a level that you look and say, because you're doing that, we can put up with the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Now, if that slips at all, and I mean like literally at all, then they have a lot of downward potential in these types of lists. Whereas what's sustainable? It's, It's the input you put play in play out right it's it's great to to score goals don't get me wrong but they are kind of the anomaly over the course of a season you're gonna have a lot more back checks you're gonna have a lot more passes to set someone up to create scoring chances you're gonna have way more of those than you will just have goals or points and right now as far as you know who has an impact in the defensive zone neutral zone it's much greater for Elias Patterson over guys like that. We'll get into it more with Brendan Batchelor as the show goes along. Just want to remind you that uh, this hour of the starting lineup brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver or online at, van- at DunbarLumber.com. You got thoughts on Elias Patterson? You got thoughts on what the rest of this list looks like? You can chime in. 650 650 to our Dunbar Lumbar text line, uh, Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we're touching on Christmas movies. Uh, <laughs> text coming in here. Don't make fun of Andrew Walker movies. Of course, uh, that being Hallmark. That is one of the best bits that he's got. I, I, I will say for Walker. Full credit to you guys for tracking down Andrew Walker, the Hallmark actor, because that was one of the best segments of the year on the program. Yeah, it's so fun. I, I, I can't take any credit for that one. That, that was just Walker. I, I think he Instagrammed, DM'd him, and he's like, hey, I'm Andrew Walker. You're Andrew Walker. And it's like, what? What's going on here? I think that's how it went down. So, but yeah, that, that was hilarious. But the Hallmark movies, they do uh, they do touch a nerve at this time of year. I not sure if that's the right nerve. Strike a a certain mood at this time of the year that they do fit into the holiday season. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I can't touch. I, I. I oh come on, movies. No, I. It's just so painful, and it's it's they're like soap operas, right? How they you can tell they just film them in a week, and it's just like one take, <laughs> and we'll move along. And like sometimes the edits don't even make sense. They're just like, who cares? We're this is we're pandering to people, but they're so, only acceptable this time of year. Is what I'm saying. Yet they played them all year round, and for some reason, every single one of them stars Candace Cameron Bure. Well, they lock these people up to massive long-term contracts. They 
I, I'm sure there's a hallmark salary cap where they're you know people are talking about the AAV and everything. Like oh, that. for like, sure. Really? Nine doing... year deal for Candice Cameron Bure? No, she's on a bridge deal right now. <laughs> uh, Victor's are Adam Forest Slide. Keep your text coming in. Uh, we got this one the ref, Dennis Leary, Kristen in Maple Ridge. I guess we're talking about movies that are undeniably bad, but you love. True, so, true. The I've, ref or Dennis, I've, I've not seen that, but uh, keep your thoughts coming in. 650, 650. Uh, Brendan Bachelor on the way at the top of the hour. Also, here from Sony Aslam with our News 1130 update at 820. More on the way here on the home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. More of the starting lineup on Sportsnet 650. All right, I meant to talk. I just, I was just gonna let it roll. Iconic Christmas tunes. Great here song. Sportsnet 650. Dick Nazar and Adam Forsyth filling in for James and Perry today on the starting lineup. They'll be back on Monday. But yeah, a week away. Let's get going with the all Christmas tunes. It, it, it's putting me to the mood. I was saying uh, I, I, I'm feeling less uh, Christmassy this year, but uh, Greg Ballack putting in the work to, to swing my Christmas cheer. Uh, it is Vic Nazar and Adam Forsyth. Uh, Force, I know you're a big golf guy. You see this yesterday, uh, a viral clip. Tiger Woods playing with his son, uh, driving range. Um, but they're both teeing off, and they mimic each other, like, perfectly. Like, the the club head waggle, the the head up, looking where it's going. It, it's, they strike it the same, and they, they even did the club twirl the same. The, that was the the cherry on top was the club troll and yeah old charlie woods man it is impressive and he is a replica of his father and apparently with the intensity too i saw today he's practicing because the pnc championship begins tomorrow it's a little like exhibition kind of thing with you know uh, a pro golfer with their their parents or their son or their siblings or whatever and uh arnold palmer out there um and uh sorry sorry uh not arnold palmer um who am I thinking of? Now Blake on the name. But anyways, one of the greats is giving him putty device. Uh, but Charlie Woods, he is taking it so seriously. He had his little caddy book out yesterday and he was writing all the notes down just like his dad. Like he just was, he's a mirror. He mimics what Tiger does and it's pretty cool. I'm really excited to watch this tournament. I never thought I'd say I'd be excited to watch an 11-year-old golf. His, his caddy book. Can we get him like a real book? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, get I don't even comic think book. Could, What's going on here? I don't even think I could read at 11. I, you know, <laughs> This kid's, mapping, this kid's mapping out yardage and like, you know, 115 to the pin, downward wind, left breeze. Like, come on, kid. Okay, that does bring up an interesting question, though. Okay, so he's 11 years old. He's going to play in this golf tournament. We we presume he's going to dominate. Um, what, what sport, if you're an adult, what sport is most embarrassing to lose to an 11-year-old? Because I kind of feel like golf is up there because you should have a lot of strength. Of, of driving distance over an 11 year old uh i like you said i i golf a lot and i am not embarrassed at all when a, a kid crushes me because there are so many times over the summer where you get partnered up and it's like a son and his dad and the son has clearly taken lessons since the time he could walk and he goes out and like i can hit the ball further than him 
but half the time it's going way right into the forest or into a pond while he's just 100 yards down the fairway, 100 yards down the fairway, chip in, birdie, par, whatever. So there are some kids in the lower mainland who are unbelievable. Um, I don't know. I think what's the worst sport to lose to an 11-year-old? Dodgeball? Oh, do- that's good. 650, 650 with your thoughts as well. Uh, into our Dumber Lumber text line. Uh, we'll continue this on the other side with Batch. I think basketball would be one because you should have a height advantage, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the kids are low to the ground. They're, they're you know. Sleeping. Oh, yeah, that's true. I'm going to throw up my back banding over to try and block them. But yeah, that should be a pretty big advantage. I, I actually used to coach basketball for around that age group, uh, about 12 years old. And the guys that like are clearly skilled but haven't had like any sort of growth spurt, it's so tough to defend them because they're, the low to the ground, you can't even reach to steal at all. So you're just hoping they post up, but nobody that small is going to post up. So you're just like perimeter defense, like I'm Tony Allen or something out there, and I'm just getting worked over like I'm old school player. And and then you know when you're on offense, you can at least post them up and just Shaquille O'Neal turn around, dunk, and and point at the guy as he's falling over. Not that I've ever dunked on an 11 year old. Telling tales out of school here. Yeah, I, I definitely got dunked on an eleven-year-old. I feel like you may have bullied some of the, the players you coached. <laughs> Not bullied, educated. Just gave them a healthy respect for the game. <laughs> just, just gotta let them know that I'm there. Uh, it is picked and Czar Adam Forsyth. We'll get into it more. The Canucks commute on the way here on the home of the Canucks. And uh, just a heads up, a reminder that the countdown to tip-off is brought to you by Denny's. Get a holiday turkey dinner for four, starting at just fifty-nine ninety-nine. Visit Denny's.ca. The voice of the Canucks, Brendan Batchelor, on the way here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Spicing up your morning drive with the Canuck commute. That would be a shame. I think it would be, I wouldn't want to see a Canadian division in perpetuity, but I think it would be exciting for a year. And that would be a shame if all the games were played south of the border. This is the starting lineup. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is Bick Nazar and Adam Forsyth hanging out with you today, filling in for James and Perry. I'm uh, going to talk to Brandon Batchelor, your voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650 in just a couple of minutes. But yeah, lots of talk about the Canadian division. Is it in limbo? Are they going to have a Canadian division in the States? Uh, Chris Johnson of Sportsnet and NHL Inside reporting yesterday that Oh, boy. Uh, Provincial health authorities might uh, be putting a rent into the NHL's plans. And and rightfully so. It is a a health factor rather than we're talking about financials often between the NHL and the PA. This is a a health issue that if the the governments don't sign off and CJ reporting, you know, there's five layers of government to go through here. If you don't get full buy and full sign off uh, under certain protocols, you might have to look for other options. And in the moving the Canadian division, moving Canadian teams down south might be an option for the NHL. Uh, we'll ask you on our text line, 650-650, brought to you by Dunbar Lumber. Uh, do you like that idea? And also, like, where would you want to see Vancouver even play if they head down south? It's... Uh... I don't know. I, I it would be fun. I mean, they don't have the infrastructure in place, but like a little preview of Seattle, that would be really cool. Right, and nice and close. But that would uh, be an all-time like 
great for the rivalry forever too. It's like if they played in Seattle, be like, well, we played in your building first. Yeah, try to steal the Kraken fans before the Krakens like have taken to the ice. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be just like, an all time. I'm not sure if the location matters for fans in this country, right? Like if Vancouver plays in Kansas City, Oklahoma, um, ideally on the West Coast. But it, no matter where the location is, if you're not going to games, we can't see it regularly. That doesn't necessarily matter as much. The thing that does, I, I think that's important here, that you know we spent so much time talking about the Canadian division, division realignment, what will playoff formats look like because of the logistics of you know dealing with the, the border potential of the NHL. It's, so, it's something the NHL has to deal with that the other leagues don't. We got seven teams here, and it's a huge revenue maker for for your teams to play in Canada. Obviously, a third of the money comes from uh, Canadian teams. The, the issue here, though, is also if you move back down south and say, let's move all these teams down south, A, that's, you're displacing a lot of players, but also do you have to stick with the idea that you have a Canadian division, or do you just go your natural divisions? Hey, it's going to be 58, 48 games, somewhere in that range. Can you guys stomach this? And, and we'll just do it with our regular divisions, regular playoff format we've always had. Yeah, I think you have to stick with the Canadian divisions with the ultimate end goal of eventually getting back on this side of the border if they do move south of the line. What I'm really interested to find out is where these Canadian teams end up. Are they all going to be playing in one city and not what would be a bubble, but like all living, you know, in the same state? And then also there'd be a push if it is seven Canadian teams across, what is that, three or four different time zones? Who wins that battle? Like, if Vancouver has to go to the East Coast and play, say they create some sort of hub in a uh, Florida city where the, the COVID restrictions seem to be a little bit eased, are we having to watch the Canucks play all their games at, at 4 o'clock? That's it, also a huge stumbling block, and I'm sure that you know, the Aquilinese would not be happy about it. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of unknowns here, and it's it's a big decision looming on the horizon as if the Canadian team's move to the states at least to begin the season what's at play how does that affect everyone will the families be allowed to travel there's so many unanswered questions and it's alarming we don't know the answers when we're what just over three weeks away from what is supposed to be the start of the season yeah absolutely and that four o'clock start time is something that's very interesting because you're you're talking about moving out to the east coast and yeah ideally you'd love to go on the west coast but look at the situation right now on the west coast right san jose is going to get displaced they're going to be playing out of Arizona potentially, and and you you see you seen what's happened with the the 49ers, right? They're they're playing in Arizona. California is in a state of tough lockdown and, and, and tough tough regulations. The same would go for Washington. They're in a tough spot right now. So if you want to maintain that classic Canucks seven o'clock, hey, here we go. It, it's a lot of things need to happen in the next month, uh, less than a month now, uh, to, to to hopefully have you ready to play in in your time zone as if, if not the Canucks gonna be looking at a different reality and we're all gonna be looking at a different reality including uh brendan bachelor the voice of the canucks uh, might have to be uh calling games at a different time batch uh are you uh warming up to the idea that the vancouver canucks might not actually be the vancouver canucks this upcoming year well i mean if we get hockey However they can make that happen will be something that we can look forward to. Certainly, um, 
it would be my preference and the preference of most people. I'm sure that the team remained in Canada and in Vancouver, but uh, if it comes down to it and the only way they can get the season underway and play games is to have the Canadian team south of the border, then, you know, I guess that's what they'll have to do. And we'll be watching the Kansas City Canucks or, or wherever they end up, uh, if that is the case, at least to start the season. And then you would hope as the vaccine rolls out that uh, that maybe they could get them back north of the border at some point. What do you think the? I mean, you're not a doctor, Batch, but uh, what I just play one on the radio. Line? Yeah, exactly. You just play one on the radio. That's what I was hoping you'd jump in with. Uh, but what what do you think the timeline is? Like, do you think it is possible that? Well, let's, I'll ask you this: What do you think the odds are right now, as of today, that the Canucks start the season in the states? Is it fifty fifty? Is it bigger than that? Yeah, it's 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 so hard to say, and and that really seems to be up to the the health authorities here in Canada and in each of the individual provinces to to make that decision for the NHL because. You know, I think it's pretty clear the NHL, because they've been talking about doing the Canadian division, they want to have these teams in their home markets playing um, playing games in their own arenas. Now, you know, could that change if, say, one of the provinces steps up and they could do a hub kind of situation like we saw in Edmonton in the playoffs where all the Canadian teams just go and play games in Edmonton until things open up more? Um you wonder if that would be a possibility, but uh, in terms of trying to handicap, you know, what way it's going to go, it's it's really impossible to say because it's it's up to Bonnie Henry and you know her her colleagues across the country that are in the same role uh, in the various other provinces that have NHL teams to make the decision for their local area about whether the NHL's plan is safe and something that they can get behind or whether it's something they're not comfortable at this time. But either way, I do think that by the end of this coming season, you will see the Canucks in Vancouver. Because as I said, you know, the more people get vaccinated, you would assume things can open up a little bit more and maybe some of these health authorities um, relax their stance as we get into the middle of next year and, and maybe into the spring and early summer. Uh, I'm sure you guys are like me and, and anyone listening. It, it's we all want hockey back. It just and, and back in Vancouver and back in Canada and all that to, to look as normal as possible. But this is a public health aspect to it. I'm sure there's a government demand of saying, hey, look, the hubs worked for you in the summer. Why can't you do it again? Or please do it again if you want to play north of the border. The issue is always just going to be money, right? There, there was such an investment on the league's behalf that this past summer was about saving face. Let's just play the games and we can get through the season and we can deal with this type of um, cost. But to do it again over multiple, multiple months and also doing so, because I see a lot of texts coming in here right now to our 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. They're all texting, you know what? This is becoming such a headache. Just start again in September. The reality is, there, as much as there was a demand to do it in the summer to hand it to a Stanley Cup, there's also a demand right now to get this done because of the new TV deal, restart the league, and try to get everything set up again so you can return to normalcy for 2021. Yeah, and, you know, the NHL has made it clear that they're willing to take a short-term financial hit, as they did with the bubbles, to preserve uh, the game and to preserve their standing 
in the sports world. And, you know, we certainly know that south of the border, the NHL is not uh, the premier sports league in terms of attention and advertising dollars and things like that. So they can't really afford to not be a part of the sporting conversation for most of 2021 um, for, for economic reasons. And we know that, that many of the owners of teams have their, their normal day-to-day business that has taken a big hit this year on top of the fact that they haven't been able to have fans in the stands for the NHL and the season wasn't able to start on time. So these are all factors that are going to lead towards the NHL trying to do whatever they can to get a season underway and to get it underway as soon as possible. And that's why we're hearing this conversation about, you know, Canadian teams having to go south of the border because, you know, they're going to do anything and everything they can to get a season underway and games going if it's safe to do so. And it's clear that they're willing to go to extraordinary measures to make sure that happens. Uh, ideal market for you, Batch, if you got the chance to travel with the Canucks. Where, like we were discussing before you joined us, I mean, is it going to be the Kansas City Canucks, the Oklahoma City Canucks? I mean, uh, do you want a nice little beach somewhere? What's the ideal spot say, for you? If I'm traveling with them, the San Diego Canucks. Absolutely. Get get me down to Southern California and, and some warm weather. But, uh, you know, really, without fans being present, you know, they may not need to go very far, right? Because you don't have to have eighteen to 20,000 seats in an arena if you're not going to welcome fans. So, you know, could they go and play in a WHL arena in Everett or, or Seattle? Or even, you know, you could go down and play in Portland, uh, which has, a you know, an NHL-quality facility in the Moda Center that the Winterhawks play out of, so that you're still on the West Coast, you're still close to home, uh, and then, you know, if and when it becomes possible to play in Vancouver, then you're just, you know, very, very close by to just hop back over the border to Rogers Arena. Um, but also, if they're going to try and continue to do the Canadian division while playing in the USA, you wonder then if they would look at a hub situation to put all those teams in the same place, or if you want to have them close to each other geographically. Um, so, you know... I'm sure these are the kind of conversations that that the NHL and the Players Association are having right now in terms of trying to find creative ways to solve this issue. And we'll just have to to wait and see what they end up coming up with. It is Brendan Batchelor here on Sportsnet 650. For more details on uh, this Canadian division or Canadian teams moving down south, uh, jump online to sportsnet.ca. Chris Johnson and Elliot Friedman Sportsnet NHL Insiders doing great work, so you can catch up on, on everything there. I want to touch on something else with you, Batch. Uh, Elias Pettersson, another list, another reason for us to debate Elias Pettersson standing in the NHL. I was making the point earlier that, you know, at times we get lost in the idea of points, 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 and that's what makes a player so great. And Elias Pettersson's subtlety of dominating and having an impact on the game outside of just putting up points gets overlooked time and time again. And 16, okay, it might be fair to put him there. I might have him a touch higher, 13, 12, somewhere around there. But generally speaking, uh, the, the, best, the, the biggest staple of his game gets overlooked, I think, at times. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, part of that will be that, you know, he's in the Vancouver market, so national coverage is going to be a little bit slanted because the games are on 
later out east. And, you know, this is something we've talked about, not just with Pedersen, but with the Canucks and with Canucks players for many years. So, um, you know, the, the subtleties of his game may be lost on, on some people because they're not watching the team play every night. But for, for people in Vancouver that, that see this guy play and understand that some of his most impressive plays from last season weren't beautiful goals he scored, but great defensive plays he made by having strong back checks into his own zone or, you know, opportunities he opened up on the ice by making a great second effort or, or you know, battling in front of the net to create space for a teammate uh, show that, that his game is much more well-rounded than, than just a young skill player. And it's really encouraging to see that from him so early in his career because as he gains more strength and I know there's been a lot made of of, you know his his stature and especially when he came into the NHL he had to answer a lot of questions about his weight and he didn't really enjoy that very much and and made that clear in the media but at the same time you look at the impact he's able to have as such a young player and you think about what he could be say in three or four years when he you know really matures and is able to put on some some more weight and and you know really impose himself more physically on the game than he already does, even though he kind of has that mean streak in him where we see him try the reverse hit all the time and things like that. Um, You know, I think it's an element of his game that is only going to grow. And hopefully as it grows, it gains more recognition in some of these, you know, lists and polls and, and rankings that we see come out throughout the hockey world. Well, that's where I kind of fall with him being at 16 is he is young and he has a lot of potential to uh, improve. And we've already seen how impressive he is, but I can't justify putting him above, you know, a Patrick Kane who is uh, ninth on the list or an Alex Ovechkin who's sixth on the list because they just have that much more pedigree and they have championship pedigree. Uh, but Vatch, I'll quickly run down the, I'll just say the top three or well, I'll do the top four and see if you agree with where the NHL slotted these guys in. So best forwards in the NHL, McDavid one, McKinnon two, Crosby three, Drysaddle four, Kucherov five. In that order, does anything change for you if you were to make that list? Uh, I would put McKinnon higher than McDavid, to be honest, in terms of the overall impact he has. And, you know, we, we've seen with the way he's played against the Canucks over the past few years, that he can be a a real dominant force. And really when you're talking about McKinnon and McDavid, you're, you're splitting hairs. Both of these guys are tremendous franchise players, guys that could very well go on to be hall of famers. But um, you know, in, in terms of a guy that can really take over a game and again, McDavid could do it as well. Just me personally, I have McKinnon at the top of my list instead. I uh, want to get to one more thing here. Uh, Justin Bailey signs a one-year $750,000 deal yesterday. Uh, not someone that you expect to make a, a massive contribution this season, but you know, as far as you know, creating competition in training camp and, and making sure everyone's you know, up to speed, what were your impressions of what you saw from him uh, when, when he joined the return-to-play scenario? Yeah, you know, it was sort of hard to get a read because he was never a guy that was, you know, seriously being considered to to play games in the return to play. Uh, And even when he did get into the NHL roster last season, he he didn't get a chance to play very much. So uh, as someone that doesn't watch Utica play a lot, um, you know, I can't really provide a, a detailed scouting report on him. But, you know, 
obviously the speed is something that stands out. Um, you know, he can be a pretty aggressive player. And when it comes to, you know, depth at the forward position, he's a nice guy to have in the American Hockey League that you, you know what he is, you know where his strengths are going to lie. He's a player that can fit in down your lineup if he needs to be called up because of injury on a fourth line or a third line and bring a physical presence and you're not going to be worried about his ability to keep up because he has that skating ability. So, you know, it's, it's a good contract for him to stay with the organization and come back for another training camp and try to make an impression on the coaches and maybe be one of those guys that, you know, is, is early in line for a call up to the NHL team. If, if the Canucks deal with injuries at the forward position, but um, at the same time, they also have quite a number of forwards that they're going to have to figure out what to do with. So uh, it just creates that healthy competition and maybe not as much at the NHL level, but at the AHL level for guys to try and push each other to be that guy that gets the call if and when the Canucks need it. Actually, before we let you go, uh, a week away from Christmas, uh, what's your go-to Christmas movie? Muppets Christmas Carol, 100%. Wow! It's, it's the greatest Christmas movie of all time, and I will not hear any other opinion. All right, I'm going to put it on my list this year. I'm not sure if I've seen that, to be honest. That's the British coming out in you batch, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, first of all, Michael Caine is tremendous in it. Um, and it's I, I guess it's from, what, the early to mid-90s, but it still ages well. And it's one of those movies that you know I always liked watching as a kid. And then you watch it as an adult, and there's all these jokes in it that, that you know flew over your head when you were younger that now make you chuckle for a different reason. So uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, as a great holiday movie. Uh, we'll spend some time tonight and uh, watch it tonight. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Merry Christmas, Patch. Yeah, you too. Oh, yeah. I suppose I should have wished him a, a happy holidays and all that sort of stuff. I'll talk to Batch before next Friday. Why are you making me look bad here, of course? Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, let's get to uh, it's 820. I hear every morning here on the starting lineup. It's Sonia Aslam from News 1130. Our friends down the hall. Sonia, uh, what's your go-to Christmas movie? Oh, they're all going to be really sappy, girly movies. It'll be like, oh, I'm going to say it and I'm going to get so much blowback. It'll be like Love Actually. It's a Wonderful Life. That's a great so, Christmas movie. I know, but some people don't like it. That's trash opinion. Okay. Trash opinion, I don't know. Forrest, like do you like it? Do you watch it? No, yeah, I'm a whole... Home Alone 3 guy myself. Yeah, see, there you Home go. Home Alone 3? <laughs> 3? No, no one watches 3. What's happening? <laughs> one, only one. I, um, I was going to say, I don't even like Home Alone 2. That, that's a v- vastly overrated movie. Yeah, because it just went downhill after one. And isn't Donald Trump in what, the second one? Yes. Yeah, see? But, I, I mean, that, that, that's one scene. I, I, I can live with that. It's just, at least, it's too implausible, Home Alone 2. Yeah, I think the first How- one's good, and then I, you move on. How about you? Are you guys good with Elf? Oh, Elf I, I do is like Elf, not yeah. funny. Sorry, Sonia, you, you don't like Elf? No, it's not funny. Oh my God! Wow. I know him. I know him. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> it's wow. so overhyped. Everyone talks about it. Like you know, it's the best movie ever. It's not. It's not that good. No. All right. Well, I'm gonna hijack this a little bit because sure. I want to. Every Tuesday on the program, I do trivia Tuesdays. Yeah. And I, I prepared a little Elf question for you guys, and I want to see who knows Elf more. <laughs> Can you name the four major food groups in the movie Elf? Oh, I'm not gonna know this. Uh, sugar. Oh, you're on the right track. 
Um, Isn't it where he eats that really gross meal where it's like spaghetti man. with candy? Uh, okay, candy no, yeah, cane. sorry. Syrup is one. Yep. Uh, candy, candy canes, and candy corns. Correct. There you go. Oh Once you said candy, I remember them all. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I Sonya, you lose that. trivia That's... Friday. Oh. <laughs> I'm okay with that because Elf's not a good movie. Have you started your Christmas movie watching? Because I'm super late on mine. Um, I've watched a bit. Yeah, like I saw Home Alone a week ago, and I think that's it. I think I saw the Charlie Brown Christmas special on some network, but no, I haven't like gone to town yet. Uh, what's going on uh, for the latest? Because I look, we've been talking all day today about the uh, potential of the NHL teams moving down south, uh, the, the, the Canadian divisions. And part of that is obviously the the interaction between the NHL and the provincial governments, mm-hmm. getting the okay. Where are we right now as far as BC in, in, in the status of vaccines and everything like that? So vaccines are happening, but they're only for healthcare workers right now, like frontline healthcare workers. And just over a thousand have actually been um, administered. And that's not a lot. So the nice thing about, you know, I know the league is saying hopefully by January, mid-January, they can start playing again. Um, We're not expecting to get weekly vaccine deliveries here until next week. And then little by little, it'll be expanded. But the general population won't be getting vaccines until the summer. So like healthy people who don't have any underlying health uh, issues aren't getting this for months and months and months. So, um, you know, I heard, I saw uh, Chris Chris Johnson's piece from Sportsnet on that saying that we would all go south. I think that's a bad idea because the south is on fire. Like the U.S. is on fire with this virus. It doesn't make sense for them to go south. But um, yeah, BC's not, you know, we're in decent shape in terms of at least we have the vaccine. The vaccine hasn't even been um, widely distributed in the U.S., but um, this is a long road. You know, I think everyone thinks BC vaccine in one sentence and everything is fine. It's not. We're one. You know, we're three days into this, so um, I would say they should just stay here. <laughs> and Sonia, what no, about the not. today? Is the first day that the provincial government is handing out some cash, which should help for the holiday season. What is the exact details on? How we uh, can pad our pocketbooks a little bit? Yeah, Christmas cash. So uh, it's a thousand dollars free money essentially for families, and then up to five hundred dollars for individuals. Um, so there are a couple of criteria, like your income has to be a certain amount, and you have to enter your twenty nineteen income tax return information. That way, there's no like fraud claims, and we know that you actually live here and you're of age, blah blah blah. But uh, the website that you can apply on goes live at eight thirty. If you just Google BC Recovery Benefit, the first website that pops up is a BC Gov website, and you just enter your info. And I expect fully that by eight thirty one, the website will crash. Um, so, but that goes live in, uh, yeah, five minutes and the criteria is not a lot for us. It's like, yeah, you have to be 19, you have to live in BC and you have to file your income taxes from last year. That's it. Uh, we're getting a lot of love in our text inbox, 650, jingle all the way for their go-to Christmas movie. Is, is, is there a bad Christmas movie that you're like, I got to watch it every year too? Oh, bad one? Bad, like cheesy or bad, like the... Like, like the acting's bad. Crap. That's like objectively bad, but you're just like, hey, I'm gonna watch it. I have to. I can't think of anything. I have pretty good taste, so there's like, oh, a, there's wow, a- <laughs> wow, <laughs> what a flex. As she sips her tea, come on. Yeah. Uh, no, like Christmas is the one excuse to like watch bad movies and kind of get away with it. And no one will judge you. I, I believe I 
maybe I said this on the program, but the movie Jack Frost. <laughs> oh my God. Michael Keaton dies in a car accident and I... comes back as a snowman to support his bullied son. <laughs> and then they have a snowboarding competition. Come on. Sounds like That's an Oscar winner. Adventures. Isn't there a Santa Claus like one through nine with Tim Allen as Santa Claus? Wasn't that a bunch of... I, I think he's still making those, to be honest. Is he? Uh, the Santa Claus 3, The Escape Clause, where Martin Short plays a villain known as, I don't know, the Ice King or something. No, isn't now there, you're just lying, right? Isn't there like a Santa no, Kraus where there's like an evil Santa? Aren't there like horror Christmas movies? Isn't it's that bad. a thing? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't watch any of those. But do you guys watch Die Hard? It's a Christmas uh, movie. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Definitely a Christmas movie. Yeah. Okay, interesting, interesting. Uh, no, I All can't right, do any it. crap ones. Um, a lot of love for your uh, uh, elf stance, though. Oh, I'm yes. Thank you, audience, because I'm right. Elf is trash. <laughs> I said it. Uh, she's Sonia Aslam, News 1130. Thanks, uh, guys. Thank you very much. The Grinch of News 1130. See you, Sonia. Wow. Merry, Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, guys. The parting shot. I love it. Uh, let's bring this our Adam Forsythe here. We'll uh, touch on uh, more of this return to play stuff. What is the scenario for Canadian teams? Are they heading down south? We'll hear from Chris Johnson and Elliot Friedman as well as they uh, continue to break the story. If you want more details, jump online, sportsnet.ca. They are doing great work there, detailing a lot of it. Your thoughts also welcome. Keep them coming. Uh, just a reminder, hey, this segment brought to you by Langley's newest auction, Urban Auctions has hundreds of items to bid on at fantastic prices. Bid right now online at urbanauctions.ca. Bick Nazar and Adam Forsyth here in the starting lineup on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go Take a look at the 5 and 10 It's glistening Oh yeah, again. it's feeling like that Candy time of the year Even, uh, Despite all the rain we're going to get today Upwards of 40 millimeters of rain Plus a wind warning in effect In Vancouver So uh, stay dry Stay upright I guess. Don't get blown over by the wind that we're going to uh, be dealing with today. Uh, it's Big Nazar and Adam Forsythe today filling in for Perry and James. Uh, in this segment, brought to you by Langley's newest auction, Urban Auctions, has hundreds of items to bid on at fantastic prices. Bid right now online at urbanauctions.ca. Uh, Force, it's a uh, developing story. Uh, Chris Johnson, Sportsnet NHL insider, breaking it yesterday. Uh, and it's uh, continuing to evolve as the day goes along here. The reality that exists as a potential fallback option for Canadian NHL teams, and there's seven of them, it, it, it makes up a rather sizable chunk of the of the league, having to head down south to play their games due to you know not coming to agreements with potential potential agreements with provincial health authorities and and look this is a public health factor obviously we've seen some of the ramifications come in for teams that reside in california having to get displaced and as we were just talking with sonia it's like okay it's a great in theory but like parts of the states are also on fire with covid cases so 
while I understand the practice in general, or are you just looking for the path of least resistance to try to get your games off? Yeah, it, pretty much. Um, it's tough, right? You, the, unfortunately for the NHL, it's not really ultimately in their hands. It is up to what the provincial governments want to do. And the fact that this report came out this close to when we are supposed to see the puck drop on the NHL season suggests that they are maybe running into some resistance from the government. And by letting this report kind of slip out, it is maybe their way of putting a little bit of pressure on the provincial governments. But I mm-hmm. think it's going to backfire because they are maybe looking for some sympathy from the general public saying we want this season to you know get underway. But I think we just have so much COVID fatigue in our personal lives, our everyday lives. We don't need to hear about the grind of millionaire uh, athletes and billionaire owners. So I think a lot of people are, you know, this kind of report will fall on deaf ears in terms of looking for sympathy of, no, we need the Canucks in Vancouver. Right. I mean, if they have to go south of the line. I'm I'm going to listen to the the health authorities on this one. I trust Dr. Bonnie Henry and the other doctors across the country when it comes to if they feel the Canucks can't safely host other Canadian teams and keep me safe, then I am fully supporting their decision to nip it in the butt. Uh, let's hear from Elliot Friedman. We'll catch you up on the latest uh, from Elliot and CJ. But here's Elliot Friedman talking about on the possibility of games in the U.S. and, and players even want to come back. That's the one thing that someone said to me last night is, is as how do the, are these players willing to say, okay, we're willing to be in the United States for a year or this season, um, or do we want the knowledge that the moment this gets cleared up, we can go back to Canada? And if the answer is B, then does the Canadian division stay for this year anyway? Cause the players want the option to come back if everything clears up. So, there's a lot going on. Uh, that's from Elliot Friedman joining our friends at uh, the Fan 590 in Toronto. And the other conversation that gets brought up is, is okay, if, if this becomes a reality and they wind up playing down south, where are they even going to play, right? We can talk about Oklahoma. We can talk about Kansas City, all these places. you, you got to have functional infrastructure. And my, my first concern is, well, I sure hope West Coast teams can play in the West Coast. That would be ideal. Uh, obviously, there's some ECHL destinations you could look at for that scenario. Uh, Elliot Friedman talking about if Canadian teams could play in ECHL cities. I heard a couple weeks ago that the Maple Leafs, that there were contingency plans out there that, you know, for example, the Maple Leafs ECHL team is in Orlando. The Jets ECHL team is in Jacksonville. And I was one, and I heard a rumor, and it was a decent source that uh, that you know maybe those teams were going to have to consider playing there. And I looked into it at the time, and like I said, this was a couple weeks ago. And you know, people said that's that's not going to be happening. And it shows you how much reality changes in this day and age, because as this was breaking yesterday. I reached back to that person and he was kind of laughing and said, you know, I'm, I'm ahead of my time. Um, but I wonder, you know, so the, the question would be, is it a hub? Like would they go with all seven teams go to one hub or would you have to do things like that? Like I saw, I think Jim Matheson yesterday on Twitter 
from Edmonton was saying he could go to places like Milwaukee or if AHL teams don't play this year, he could go to their arenas. But I was wondering if, you know, the Canadian teams who have ECHL uh, affiliates, like, you know, like I said, Winnipeg and Jacksonville, Toronto, Orlando, um, Calgary's is in uh, Kansas city, although they're playing, um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that would have to be the situation. Those aren't NHL quality arenas, but they are places you can play. It's it's something that they can explore, and also something that they're going to have to discuss. And of course, the Canucks ECHL affiliate, the Kalamazoo Wings, uh, play out of Michigan, but you know, not in Florida where some other teams are. And if you wanted to pull off a hub force, uh, you might. It, it just feels like. We might be heading towards that once again, but it, it, at the same time, it doesn't feel as feasible as it was in the summer. Very much so, because there are so many moving parts, and uh, there's a month of the season, or the, at least the targeted date of January 13th. Like, There's so many things that they need to take care of, and it seems every day there is, it's like a one-step-forward, two-step-back situation. And uh, selfishly, as a Canucks fan, my biggest concern is if they do go play in like Kalamazoo or somewhere in Florida, well, they're not going to be dropping the puck at 10 p.m. local time in Kalamazoo so that we have our 7 o'clock puck drop. So are all Canuck games going to be 4 o'clock puck drops this year if they're anywhere on the East Coast? If it is a hub city with the seven Canadian teams, I mean, it's going to be a hard sell to the Maple Leafs to have them come west and start their, their games at 7 p.m. local time. So... I mean, there's going to be a lot of give and take amongst all the teams, but it's going to be a very unique and odd schedule this year. For the players, if if the seven Canadian teams have to go down into the States, I think I would almost prefer a hub where you aren't having to travel day in and day out. At least all seven teams sure. are located in one city. And if you can maybe at least create some sort of infrastructure in place where you have the necessities of and comforts of life, maybe even to the point where you can have your family with you, because I can't imagine that being possible if all seven teams have to find seven different cities to play in. So there's still the travel aspect. Uh, that would probably be the worst case scenario for the Canadian teams. If you're not playing in your home city and you're still having to travel all across North America. Yeah, that'd be a disaster. Now it's also a cost effective plan. Like what's cheaper? Is it cheaper for the NHL to put, families in a hub for who knows how long for for just the seven teams and they play amongst themselves and then once things open up in canada they can return home right there there's so many different aspects to this that they are gonna have to clear so many hurdles and it's an unfortunate burden that's being placed on the canadian players right obviously the teams have to work with government officials and and that's not a burden by any stretch of the imagination it's what's best for public health but when you think of the players in this scenario you opt to return to play because you want to you know, resume your job. You want to play hockey again. And you do so living in a Canadian market. There's benefits to that, obviously, when under normal circumstances, heightened profile, all that sort of stuff. But in this scenario, you might get displaced. And I imagine this might even creep up the talk, moving a couple of steps here ahead of the, the situation here. But if this becomes a reality, what's the willingness from players if, if you're on a Canadian team? Do you say, well, I was already skeptical of playing in home arenas and we're traveling so much during these times. Now I'm getting displaced for who knows how long. I'm just going to wait it out until we return back home. I think that's something that's down the road players might look at. 
for sure. I don't know the exact rules of how what they can do and not do, but much like the NFL, like is there a possibility where we see some serious opt outs from uh, from players? Because at that, at, I mean, they were asked to make a, a lot of sacrifices when they came back in the summer and live in a bubble and not see their family for upwards of two months if they went all the way to the final. Are they willing to do that again? And the players have made it pretty clear that that is not something they are interested in. Obviously, they want a season, but that's it's a huge sacrifice, especially with like a lot of these players have young kids at home. It, it's a lot to ask, and I think the the goalposts are moving every day as to what is going to be the norm for the season. Some days it's good, some days it's bad. In the last forty eight hours, it's clearly been a step in the wrong direction in terms of getting an NHL season going. Well, the goalposts and the, and the the starting line, right? For, forget yeah. of where you're trying to go. True. You don't even know when to take off just yet. And, and we'll get to more of this Elliot Friedman stuff in just a second because it's it's constantly, he said it there, it's constantly a moving target, right? And your your target's moving, but your, your start-off point is changing because, look, we've been talking about for months now, Canadian Division, how great this is going to be, rivalries and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, it, you fly into Toronto, you play two games, you head to Montreal, you play your three games with Montreal, and you come back home. That's all up in the air now. It's all these conversations have been swung so wildly here in 24 hours, thanks to this uh, potential option that if the NHL can't come to agreement with five layers of government here in Canada to sort this out, you're going to be dealing with new realities. Uh, we'll we'll touch on this a bit more in just a second as well. Your thoughts always welcome. Six fifty, six fifty. The countdown to tip off is brought to you by Danny's. Get a holiday turkey dinner for four, starting at just fifty nine ninety nine. Visit Denny's.ca. Get yourself some Christmas hardwood food as well. Vic uh, Nazar, Adam Forsyth. Your thoughts as well coming up here on the home of the Canucks Sportsnet six fifty. This is the starting lineup on Sportsnet 650. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. While the merry bells keep ringing. Yeah, one week away. Hopefully, put me into the mood. Greg Ballack, run for two, in the show. Back at Mission Control, Big Nazar and Adam Forsythe here with you today. James and Perry will be back on Monday. So hopefully get all their shopping done uh, today. Uh, Force, uh, you, you feeling Christmassy now? I think so. You know, the weekend is about to begin for me. Uh, I'm going to enjoy it. And then uh, yeah, seven days away from Christmas. So I have done my shopping. Uh, there's a few packages that will be delayed because Canada Post is chaos right now. But outside of that, I'm ready. I got the egg dog in the fridge. I might have a couple rum and egg dogs and watch uh, one of the, the bad cheesy Christmas movies we talked about today. Uh, excellent. That sounds like a plan. I'm going to do all my shopping today. Uh, hopefully, um, I, I might have to brave the conditions here and, and, and grab a couple of things just to make sure I have something under the Christmas tree for my nephews and niece. Uh, but that's uh, on the schedule for me. Uh, it, it's this trending story today and we got to keep touching on it here because it's, uh, it's got a lot of impact on what your hockey habits might be looking at, uh, moving forward with the potential of uh, Canucks and the other six Canadian teams heading down south for the Canadian division playing in the United States. And we got a couple of texts here. Well, if, if they're figuring this out at this stage of this of, of this calendar, are we even going to get ready for 
January 13th. And Elliot Friedman did touch on uh, the, the board of governors that are talking today. Uh, is there a potential of moving back from January 13th? People were kind of told that be prepared for the possibility of voting this week. You know, today is obviously the last day of the week. Um, you know, I, I I don't know what the chances is. As I wake up this morning, or I went to bed last night, I was getting really mixed reactions on the possibility of there being a vote today. And if they can't vote today, um, you know, I mean, are, are we talking about moving back from January 13th? Um, you know, I, I had some teams yesterday saying they think this makes it more likely that we don't start until February 1st, but other people saying, hold on, let's just see where this kind of goes over the next 24 to 48 hours. So I think this has kind of thrown things into a little bit of limbo, and it's not clear yet, George, as to, and Mike, as, as to what this all means. That's Elliot Friedman talking on the Fan 590 Force. Uh, just it, it feels like it's evolved so much here in 24 hours after CJ, uh, Sportsnet NHL Insider, dropped that yesterday. Just the the return to play bomb of a report. And, and it just seems like a month away feels so lofty as far as expectations go of when we could see, uh, see some hockey. Yeah, I mean, all these little reports of the Canadian division and what it was going to look like and the baseball-style schedule, which would create rivalries, it was kind of like a, a Christmas advent calendar, and each day we're getting a little little good news, a little chocolate, something nice, all the way. And then all of a sudden, CJ swoops in a week before Christmas and goes, no, I'm taking it all back, here's some coal. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but I, I still have faith things will get worked out. Obviously, the January 13th start date is is not looking good at this point. There's just way too many things, both logistically, uh, safety-wise. There's just so many hurdles they have to clear, and I just don't see it getting done, especially because it is the holidays, and people are going to be spending time with their families, and they're not going to be in the office. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and uh, it's on my Christmas wish list, a season, but I don't have a lot of faith. It's a developing story. It's an evolving story as well. Uh, Scott Rintoul show coming up. We're definitely going to be talking about it. Uh, reach deep in the program. It, it's it, it's speaking of advent calendars. It just feels like every hour you open up the, the next layer to the story. Forget day by day. It's hour by hour right now. So uh, keep it here. Sportsnet six fifty. I know Scott's going to be touching on it uh, with a couple of different people. Dr. Brian Conway is going to be joining them. It, it just it, you got to keep. Up to date on what's going on, and maybe the Canucks might not even be playing in Canada, so that's wild. Uh, I want to actually touch on this before we go to a kind of a, a bit of a resolution on, a, on another story where we started this week with talking about the Braden Holby mask uh, and how he and his artist Dave Gunnerson uh, put together a mask that, since they are not going to be wearing it, and by now I'm sure you know the entire story, but Dave Gunnerson did post to his Instagram, uh, and I did just want to read a statement here. And he wrote, I've been aware, I've been made aware of the feedback about my mask design for Braden Holpe. I've talked to Braden, and we won't be using it next year out of respect for local indigenous artists. Our goal was to celebrate indigenous legend of the Thunderbird and Orca, and I never intended to cause any concerns. I have great respect for indigenous artists. And Braden and I have started to collaborate within an indigenous artist and to make a new painting. I have learned from this, and I also want to apologize to everyone who got sad. Thank you to all who contacted me about it. Thank you 
for your wisdom. That's from Dave Gunderson. Something to be aware of uh, moving forward. Uh, we make way. Forrest, thank you very much. Had a blast. Thanks for having me fill in. And uh, Scott Rintoul Show. On the way with Scott Rintoul here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.